Hello everyone, my name is Willis Kim and alongside me is Michael John Petty. We are your hosts for the wonderful, wonderful returning It's Tangent Time podcast. How's it going, Michael? Doing well, Wu. How are you doing? Well, it's been about five years. <laughs> five years to go. Yes, a phase or two has already passed and um, Supernatural is still on the air. It's in season but- 20. Well, that means things haven't changed too much. Yes, and for God's sake, will will they have will, will they have peace when they're done? When will they be done? Ugh, not soon enough. Did you watch this last season? <laughs> no, I was not compelled to. And from what I've seen, it's not like I haven't missed anything. Let me tell you one thing. There are certain characters who I immediately, from the time they went on screen, wanted to die, that did not die. And then there were characters who died that I did not want to die. As is always with Supernatural. But actually, the finale wasn't horrible. You know what, though? It's like, like some shows I watch and I feel bad that I've lost so much time watching them. You know, because there's so many good shows now, especially superhero shows. But this one, I was like... Do I really need to watch this right now? Do I really have the time to watch this right now? (laughs) To be honest with you, I I really only watch a show for Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki because I think they're so cool as people. That's why I watch it. That's about it. I have no no emotional investment in the show anymore. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean... I haven't since the end of season eight. I'm sorry, I mean, like, um, we're not saying if you're enjoying this show, please still enjoy it, but it's like, it's like every, every genre show, like, they, like most executive producers will say, after a five to a seven year run, and after that you wash, rinse, repeat storylines. And this, it really does feel this way. Like, what's new? Uh, well, they essentially introduced the first from uh, Buffy as the villain for next season, so there's that. Oh, yay. I'm not even kidding you. When I when they started talking about who the villain was and that there is this ancient evil that's always existed and tempted Satan in the beginning and blah, 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 I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the first. So we're going to see Sarah Marshall Giller on Supernatural. Yeah, she'll be on next season. No. Yes, and, awesome. and and Nathan Fillion will be her second. Right. Ugh. But we're not. We're that's the most negative. We're gonna be like most, most, mostly negative because Supernatural is not what the show originally was. It's like the gum that you first got out of the package, and now it's lost all, mostly all its flavor. Yeah. You still chew it just because you're chewing it. And Castiel is just there to just be Castiel. Yep. Although Bobby's return episode this season was good. Okay, I've not seen it. I've, I've totally... It's okay if you spoil me on Supernatural because, like, at this point, does it really make a difference? Like, at no. this point, does it really make a difference? Well, they have to, rec- they have to recruit him because it's like an escape out of heaven type episode. It's pretty good. <laughs> The, it's oh, one of the best of the season, that's for sure. Oh, hundredth yeah. is hilarious. You should actually, Lou, you should watch that one because you don't need to watch anything for the whole season. Just watch episode two hundred, and you'll agree wholeheartedly. Oh yes, I've seen episode two hundred. I've seen that. I've seen that. That is fantastic. So, and 
I enjoyed all the references, and I enjoyed the Adam reference, which I thought was particularly funny. My favorite thing about that entire episode is that when Dean tells the girl what's been going on since season five, she essentially chalks it up to being bad fan fiction, and I think that's hilarious. But also really sad that the writers know this and will make fun of it. Well, yeah. Like, you're, right. the, like you're the guys that came up with this. You're essentially making fun of yourself for how bad you are. Right. That's like Green. That's like Green Lantern. The new Green Lantern saying, "You know, Ryan Reynolds would have done much better in this part," <laughs> which he wouldn't have been. He knew. Um. Well, since we're on a TV and DC kick right now, um, Flash better than I was ever expecting it to be, and I was expecting it to be good. I was not expecting it to be that good. Yeah. Um. Casting great across the board, storylines across the board, weird, weird, weird finale, though. It was a different finale, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like the season one finale of Smallville, just taken to 11, and not yeah. in, like, in a really confusing way. Because, yeah. essentially, the world's about to end. Which, I mean, we know from trailers it doesn't, but it'll be very interesting to see how it doesn't. And not only is the world going to end, reality itself is going to be shifted. Well, yep. over on Arrow, everything seems to be just fine. You're right. Oh my gosh. That's we'll, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. We'll get but, there. But I loved Candace, Candace Patton, and I loved, um, I can't, let me think of Bay, Grant Gustin. Yes. Uh, I love I love both of these people. I thought I they did really fantastic. Like Eddie. Yeah, and I was not seeing what ha happened to him at the very end. And by the way, we should have mentioned this earlier. Spoilers alert. We're not going to pull any punches. So if you've not seen any of TV, any movies, well, we'll try to be a little bit spoiler-free with Ant-Man, but no promises. Well, really, all across the board, no promises, but you've been warned. Yeah. I mean, these shows have been off for, like, three, four months. Like, if, you, if, you've, not, if you've not watched any DC or Marvel TV or are familiar with our show, um, for those of you who are new listeners, Michael and I just like to BS and talk about geek-related geek stuff, and we really don't have a format. We just talk. Yeah, which is really... Pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Because we're, we're a lot less structured than any other ATA show. <laughs> because we tried to do a normal ATA show and it just evolved into like basically what this is now. Yep. It, but going it back to for us anyway. So Yes. But going back to the Flash, I thought overall it was a really good season. There were some episodes I thought were really Hard for the most part, but mostly yeah. I thought it was really good. I, you know, I, I knew going in that I would love the Flash, but I didn't realize until midway through the season, probably, probably the mid-season finale, that I had been looking since Smallville ended for a replacement for that show, and I didn't realize until midway through season one of the Flash that the Flash is probably it. Yeah, but here's the thing. All the good stuff that was about Smallville happened on The Flash this season, and all the bad stuff about Smallville ended on Arrow this season. Ended up I know. Oh, I know. But, but believe me, I know. 
But, like, things we would wait for for a whole season on Smallville, and obviously, like, it was a different time period and effects were used differently, but, like, they're used every week on The Flash. It's incredible, the effects budget they have. I mean, the fact that they could do a Gorilla Grodd and do a whole episode, I mean, that's incre- That's something that would not have been done on Smallville, not because they wouldn't want to, but because they physically could not. Well, and I also love the idea that, you know, the Lana and Clark of this universe, they know how they feel about each other, but really nothing's changed either. Mm-hmm. And we're not going through, oh, I love you. No, I don't. I want to be with you. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're trying to figure it out just as the audience is, which I really think we were the, what the Smallville writers should have done with Clark and Lana. Yeah. But the <laughs> thing with Clark and Lana is Clark and Lana wasn't ever meant to be, but Barry and Iris is. Well, Felicity and Oliver are totally meant to be, don't you know that, sir? Oh my gosh. Woo, we cannot get on that tangent yet. (laughs) (laughs) You said said what we talked about Supernatural is the most negative we'll get on the show. Wait till you start getting me talking about Felicity. Okay, um, biggest shocker, I was not expecting Eddie to die the way he died. No, I wasn't either. But you know what, the way they ended it... There could be a way that he, Eddie could still be alive. Is that possible, though, if Thawne well, the way the, well, the way, Well, the way they did the finale, time and reality could be shifted. So there's a way you could bring Eddie back. Well, you are correct there. Yeah. Because I don't like the, the idea of the reverse Flash dying this soon. But here's the thing that I've always thought is very interesting about what they've done in the comic books and I think they could easily translate it to The Flash without really having to explain it. The way Reverse Flash is explained in the comics is up until his up until he's born, the timeline is fine, but when Thawne in the future becomes the Reverse Flash and starts time traveling, he becomes something that's outside of time so that nothing that happens in the time stream can affect him or his life. By the way, everybody should be writing this down because it's going to be, like, lost. Well, it, it, but really, though, like, it, in the comics, if you were to kill Thawne's descendant, it would not hurt Thawne. You would have to kill Thawne himself. And I think you could easily explain it on the Flash as... But, by the way, I felt really man. bad for that guy that actually was Eobard Thawne, but only had, like, five lines. Yeah, I know. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, I don't Good. under I don't understand why they just couldn't hire that guy to be Dr. Wells. I, I guess because he too looked too much like Eddie, so they didn't want to make the connection. Yeah, maybe. Well, here here's the thing that I thought of when I found out that Wells was reverse flash, which I mean, I knew since the pilot that wasn't very much of a shocker. That was like Benedict Cumberbatch in the darkness. Everybody knew who he was. Yeah, exactly. But what did shock me was that Harrison Wells was an actual human being and not just Thawne disguised as Harrison Exactly. Uh, that was really well done. And, they w- and the fact that they waited to show his backstory, that was really well done. And I actually really enjoyed that. Like I, Throughout the entire season, even though I knew who Thawne was, I really enjoyed Cisco and Joe researching who Wells was before Thawne. I, re- I actually really liked that. I thought that was very cool and a good way to do it. And I liked how, like, it took an entire season and it didn't feel drawn out. Yeah. I agree. The time, 
the fact that he had to wait this long, like, really makes me respect the character to an extent. Because he could have easily just killed Barry in his sleep, like he said in the one episode. But he yep. needed him to be alive so he could get back. Yep. Which, which, it's kind of interesting. How many lives did that affect that we didn't see, like, Oliver's? Well, let's remember something, too. This is a Thawne who has been after Barry for years. Not years including the 15 years that he was stranded in the present, but years before that. So we could see a younger version of Thawne just as easily. And, our com and the comic book fans watching, which, by the way, I need to say this just now. I don't want to diss the comic book or superhero fans, but we have to realize we are a small market to who... DC and Marvel are trying to connect you now. They're trying to connect to people that have never opened a comic book before. Because if because if they were trying to appeal to us, they would have they wouldn't adapt anything. They'd keep everything the same. Right. Yeah. I just I need to eat within within reason. Obviously, there's some things that you can do over decades of. Comics. I'm gonna reiterate that when we get to Age of Ultron, which is Michael's favorite movie. Anyway. <laughs> Doesn't he sound so sincere, folks? But I, I liked the reveal of of Dr. Wells. I loved Cisco. Cisco Ramon, I really had big issues with at the beginning. But man, did that guy grow me really quickly. I got a good vibe from him. Huh? Huh? See what oh, I did there? Funny. But I did like, too, how they've adapted his powers for the show. Because the new 52 version of Vibe has powers similar to what Cisco has at the end, where he can see the other timelines. But instead, in the comics, it's he can sense when things are from a different timeline or dimension. And by the way, I loved how they used that for the finale, or the lead yes. up to the finale. Yes. That he remembered that Dr. Wells, quote unquote, killed him. Well, and the cool thing will be is once we see his powers fully develop, that'll be cool. But one other thing that I liked is the the idea that taking the freak of the week but turning it on its head with the whole um, pipeline thing. Because mm -hmm. you knew sooner or later all the all the people that were put in that pipeline were gonna get out. You didn't know when, you didn't know where, you didn't know how, but you you knew when Doctor Wells revealed himself. You knew that that's what what it was gonna be. Well, it reminded me a lot of that small episode where Clark is stuck inside Belle Reve. Yeah, and he sees all the, most of, well, the three big ones that didn't die yeah. in season two and season three come back and in season one. Yeah. What's like, what's the basis of for the old Ark, the Arkham series that just ended with Rocksteady, these video games? The idea that Batman's stuck in the hell that he created. His own Phantom Zone, as it were. Yeah. Um. The world's in Rogues. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I really love the Rogues. I thought the addition of the Rogues, how they developed throughout the whole season, and how we're going to continue to see them develop over the next few years, or depending how long the show's on, I, th I think it's great. I think it's a perfect way to do it. They're always there, they're always present, they're around whenever they want. But they're not the main focus either. Well, and, kind of just an 
Flash well, has to deal with. And, well, and that's the thing. Exactly how the rogues don't even really want to be ever want to be like caught either. They don't really want to be, you know, you know, put away. They don't ever want to be killed. They don't ever even want to kill anybody. They will if they're pressed, but they like the chase. They're like fox hunters going after fox. And yeah. I, I love the I love the whole conversation between Barry and um, Leonard when they t when they talk about what they mean to each other. It's kind of like the Batman Joker Dark Knight scene in terms yeah. of. In terms well, it's of, cool that like this is the first time that he's ever found out that the Flash is Barry Allen in anything. I think that's a cool way to do and it. And I like that he doesn't care. It's like not yeah. a big deal to him. Like I your secret identity means nothing to me. I just like well, how you're the only one that can stop. It's not gonna give him up. Well it's kinda he like knows the moment he area up, it's done. Well, it's kinda like the kind of reverse 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 of the reverse flash. He doesn't hate Barry, but he doesn't want him to die he doesn't want to kill him either. Yeah. Because in the words of the Heath Ledger's Joker, I don't want to kill you because you're too much fun. Mm -hmm. And I love that idea. Um, Big Mark's like award for best performance of this of the series of the season. And I know Flash TV News does this on their own website, but Jesse L. Martin it probably has like the best stuff in terms of writing and material. In this entire season, don't you agree? Oh yeah, I love Joe. Yeah, which probably means he's gonna die in the hundredth episode. See, but we said that about Quentin Lance for three years, and they keep hinting at it. <coughs> that is true. To the point where it's probably gonna happen when we least expect it. Yeah. Like who? Kind of like Mora. Yeah. Um, but, but really, loved Caitlin Snow, loved Cisco Ramon, um, Ronnie, I thought was kind of weak, just the way they did it. Not that I, not that I didn't like it, but for what Firestorm should have been, he should have been a lot stronger than that. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think we'll see that develop too, but... In that new show, Legends, or as I like to call it, excuse for the, another superhero show, but that's a too that's too long a title. It is a long title. The, the it should the, just be called Legends, but whatever. The Agents of Suicide Squad. Right. Yeah, Are I saw that meme somewhere. It was like, you know, that's kind of true. But doesn't that whole vibe, and no pun intended, remind you of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? What, Legends of Tomorrow? Yeah. Mm. No. Because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a lot more, like, spy-type stuff. I mean, not really, but y you know what I'm saying. Yeah. As opposed to Legends of Tomorrow, which is more of a battle across time sort of deal. I'll I'll watch it, but I'm I'm still very skeptical on it. Um, you didn't watch all all the way through with Gotham. I did, or did you? 
I am five episodes behind in Gotham, but I'm I need to finish it soon. I actually really love Gotham. Well, uh, the standpoint is Robert Lord Taylor is the Penguin, sir. What? The guy that plays the Penguin, Robert Lord Taylor. Yes. Like he's the standout. Nigma is right up there with him too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But Penguin, oh, he's the best part of the show. Him and Gordon are the best part of the show. I'm sorry, Marina Baccarin, sir. But I'm saying that for merely selfish reasons, of course. <laughs> like, when I was like, when I, I was like, they got her, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. But, but I, but, <coughs> here's the, here's the thing that everybody's gonna say, and I totally agree with them, the way they did Barbara Gordon, totally, totally wrong. I did not agree with it at all. I don't like it at all. From what I've seen so far, and I haven't seen the end yet, I, I'm like I said, I'm five episodes behind, but I have not enjoyed it, with the exception of their relationship towards the beginning of the show, which was which was day. not strong either, in my opinion. Which was what? Which was not strong either, in my opinion, or as strong as it should it wasn't have been. Strong, but it was better. I love Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne. Yes. And here's the thing, though. You can... And not, like, in other genres that it didn't happen, you can clearly see why these two people are going to be the loves of each other's lives. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think the kid who plays um, Bruce is, like, incredible. For what he needs to do. And how, yeah. how much... Because you can't be, like, 29-year-old Batman can't be that yet. No. You're still young, but you're getting there. And I think the way he's doing it is great. And the girl who plays Selena, I mean, she's like a mini Michelle Pfeiffer. She's great. And she has probably the most expressive face you could probably ever ever put on an actress. Oh, yeah. Like, her acting isn't that good, but her eyes, those eyes express more than you could ever do with words. When she's not talking, I think she's phenomenal. Yeah. When uh, she's talking, she's all right. And she's this not is not a this is not a knock on the actress because the actress is only like fourteen. Like, yeah. How how much can you do with the, like the material you've been given? Granted, like I said, the material she's been given isn't really that stellar compared to Bruce Wayne. That is true, but she's also not the focus. Bruce is more of the focus, <laughs> so it makes sense. And you, you can kind. And the chick who plays, or I'm sorry, the performer that plays Ivy, spot on as well. Yep. Because you can kind of see there's something, similar to Riddler and Penguin, there's something not right about these guys. Yeah. But Victor, but Victor Zaz. Oh, Victor Zaz. Oh my gosh. I loved it. Spot on. Spot oh my on. Gosh. I, the, told, I cannot wait to see that guy go total homicidal, which is a horrible thing to say. But which is not far off. Looking at this guy, no, it's not. I love that. Well, first of all, I love that this guy also played like a Flash villain like two weeks before he debuted on Gotham. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I also loved the different takes on Falcone because Falcone was heavily. Referenced in the Nolan films. I like that he is like Vito Corleone from The Godfather, just more seasoned and more refined. And that's and that's how the mafia of Gotham, that's how the crime families of Gotham are supposed to be. I mean, if you've read year one, 
they are an organized crime family. And that's exactly what you get here on Gotham, and it's great. And Moroni is much more like, where Falcone is like the god the godfather, Moroni is much more like Tony Soprano and Goodfellas. Oh, yeah, I think I think Moroni's great, too. Even I though... Hate fish. I yeah. hate fish. Yeah, and here's something that I don't like about Jaded Pinkett Smith, and this is a spoiler alert, like... It's going to be a big leap if they bring him back for what happens to her at the end. I'm that's not going to... That's what Dan told me, too. Yeah. And really, that, that that's an unprofessional thing to do. Like, saying that you're not coming back before a season ends. Like, Misha Barton did that once. Like, the third season of the OC saying her character was going to kill off, be killed off two days before the final episode of that season debuted. I mean, I'm sorry, that's unprofessional. Sure, you don't have a job, but you, but you don't, but you don't go on public like that. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's just not good. But Gotham, like, <laughs> for nothing else, Gotham is totally different than what you would see on the CW. Again, not knocking the CW, but again, at least it's a DC show that doesn't follow the same tropes. Well, and people have to remember, too, people are so pissed about the show because it's not Batman, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard or read that comment. But here's the thing. It was never about that. It's literally about what the title of the show is. It's about Gotham. But but ironically enough, it's it's based in Star City. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah. No, but, I mean, yeah. Batman's a part, Bruce Wayne is a part of it. It's on his road to becoming Batman, similar to Clark Kent becoming Superman on Smallville, but... And speaking of Smallville, I'm not a big, I'm not a, as big a fan of Smallville as you, but at least the title of that show stuck with the, the title, the theme of the series for ten seasons. Yeah. I mean, it... I mean, it got kind of dull around season four, but it, still, he was still in Smallville for that entire run. Like, they did not move to Metropolis until, spoiler, the, the very, very end. Well, even that, they explain it as Lois Lane calls Clark Kent Smallville. Yeah. But even still, like, the whole thing of them leaving Smallville at the, the end of the 10th season, and it's not really a, that big of a spoiler, guys. I mean, I mean, when you watch the show, you're going to think, oh, that's not really a spoiler. But, but it's really tr because of necessity. Yeah. Like, like, their lives are in Metropolis. But going back to Gotham, one of the things I really loved about the series, the season overall, it's very clear why Gotham needs a Batman. Yeah. It's very clear. And they did that even better than the Nolan the Nolan films, I think. I agree. Because they made Gotham City as dirty, as corrupt, from every single level you could possibly think of. To the point where, like, even the police commissioner doesn't want to do anything. Well, and it's very helpful to the series that it's shot in New York City where Gotham was originally, you know, conceived where got, what Gotham is really based off of. Yeah. And that and that helps a lot because most shows don't do stuff like that. Yeah. And and one of the things that I really liked, the production design on Gotham is exquisite. Yeah. Especially Gotham PD. Yeah. Oh, I love that building. That yeah. building's awesome. That building is fantastic. Even even 
and Bruce, um, Bruce, um, um, Gordon and Barbara's apartment. That set is phenomenal. The Birds of Prey set? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Or Oliver Queen from season six of Smallville. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but even that set, well, you know what that also reminded me of too? Not thinking about it, Vicky Bell's apartment from Batman 1989. Yes. Yes, it kind of does. Yeah. That's the thing too about Gotham that I really love. Like, They've taken from every era of Batman, TV show, film, comic books, all of it, and just thrown it together and said, hey, we're going to do this show. But, but, um, do you like the, the, the subtle or not so subtle references to the Joker? I like that there are multiple people who could be the Joker. Well, what does he say in the killing joke? I've had so many names, I can't keep them all track anymore. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that too later, by the yeah, way. Yeah, of course we are, because I was thrilled by the news. I but, was too. But, but no, I, I love the idea that Jerome could be, especially given his reveal at the end of that, which was unfortunately spoiled by the trailer, which pissed me off. But, um... <laughs> now that's a CW move. It could. That's a total CW move. Not in a yeah. good way. Um, one thing, uh, one thing, it kind of though. One of the standouts. Uh, there's many standouts in Gotham for me. One of them is the Red Hood episode, yes. and what could that lead for in the future? Not necessarily even the Joker. Just the idea that that continues on through Gotham's history, well, like it does in the comics. And honestly, though, I really did also like the circus episode where we meet Dick Grayson's parents. Yeah. But, I thought that was done marvelously. And how they actually fall in love to produce yeah. Dick Grayson later. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. And I love that Gordon had a hand in that, even yeah. if it was just a small one. Yeah. Um, what did you think of Alfred? I love Alfred on this show. I love that he is so cold, because that's how he originally is in the comics initially. Well, and if you've read uh, Jeff Johns' Batman Earth 1, you find out that Alfred, he's a lot like how he's done on Gotham and how it seems to be in Batman vs. Superman. But he's he's the guy who trained Bruce. He raised Bruce. He's hard on Bruce. But he does love and care about Bruce and would do anything, including die for him. And I love exactly it when the assassin shows up at Wayne Manor. Not the guy that stabs Alfred, but when Selina and Bruce have to go on the run. Yes. And Alfred... Playing like the guardian or the circuit father, because that's something that we never really see in any of the live action era or even in the animated stuff. Is how much Alfred is his like only father, <coughs> only father, only parental figure. The thing I really like that they're doing with Alfred Norn <coughs> lately in like every form of media is they're making him like that. In the comics, they're doing that, especially with the Batman Earth One comic by Jeff Johns. They're doing it on Gotham. They did it on the animated Beware the Batman show, and now it looks like they're doing the same thing in the films. For it's, the, it's for those of you who are wondering, I'm suffering from a little bit of a sinus infection. I'm getting better, um, but that's causing my cough. I'll try to mute the mic if I feel a cough coming on, but I didn't want to miss out on this show. Um, I just wanted... I don't like to lie to the audience, so that's where this cough is coming from. There's nothing wrong with your devices, guys. Um... 
Fish Mooney is the biggest albatross, no pun, no pun intended, of this show. There's episodes where I love, I love her. Episodes where I despise her. What is your overall take on Fish so far? I just, I honestly just don't like her. And not in, not, I wanted her to die. Not in, not in the way of you, you. She's the she's the villainess you love to hate. Not like that. No, I, just in the sense that this is a character I just don't enjoy at all. There's nothing redeeming about them. Get them off the show. And what was the whole point with the whole doll maker thing on the island? That was like the most useless storyline ever. I have a feeling that might come back, but we'll see. But but seriously though, but of course doll maker will come back. But really, do we need to see that on screen? We don't need to, but depending on how they do it, it could be really good. I loved the, I love how graphic the series is sometimes too, especially when Selena clawed out that guy's eyes in one of the early episodes. Yeah, I also really like the electrocutioner episodes. Yeah, um, we have to talk about this. Donald Logue, very very good job as Harvey Bullock. Yes, phenomenal. On par with the animated series, I would think. Well, we've never seen a live-action version of the character. And that's why I was very skeptical about it, but they really didn't want to change Harvey Bullock. And he doesn't respect Gordon but right away, but you already see the thing that's going to make him respect him when he, Gordon becomes commissioner in the future. The, the groundwork is being laid yeah. here. Also, I can't wait to see Ben McKenzie in a mustache. <laughs> I don't think it would work for him. Maybe <laughs> it glasses. Apparently, well, but we'll see it eventually. Maybe glasses. I could see him in the glasses. Yeah. I never thought I would say this though, and I mentioned it earlier. I never thought I would say Leslie Tompkins is hot. Uh, yeah, I never did either. And then I watched the show, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um. How is this Bruce? How is this gonna be Bruce's mother figure? And and Bruce is like, why are there so many of my friends like hanging outside your office? I don't understand it either. <laughs> I like that I they have. Here's the thing: I I don't really like Lee and Jim together. No, but they have good chemistry though. They have good chemistry, I just, I don't like it. But you know what, though? Yeah. It's Felicity and Oliver on Gotham. Yeah, except a lot, not nearly as bad. Yeah. Well, it's because I understand if something's working and you want to keep going. And, and, and anyway, this show doesn't really have an identity yet, so I understand why you're going this way with Gordon. But, um, I love the whole idea of, we don't, of this could be a whole city-wide conspiracy with the Waynes and the newly founded Arkham Asylum. Yes. Do you like that whole House of Cards kind of conspiracy theory with the Waynes? Because I don't think we're going to get that with Dawn of Justice. I do. And actually, I... You know, it's funny, cause I'll, and I'll cite this comic a lot when we're talking about Gotham, because it reminds me so much of it. But the Batman Earth 1 comic by Jeff Johns, it kind of does the same thing. But in the comic, 
Oswald Cobblepot's mayor, and Bruce thinks that he's the one who ordered his parents' death, and you find out at the end, it had nothing to do with the conspiracy at all. It was just a random guy. But Cobblepot did try and have them killed. So it'll be interesting if they ever come to a head with this conspiracy at all to see if someone really did do it or if it was just a random Joe Chill. And I love the fact that the performer that plays Alfred really tries to play like he knows what's going on, but I love the fact that he's as clueless as Bruce is about this. Yeah. Like, he doesn't know the full story either. Like, I always got the impression that Thomas Wayne in the comics, much like his son would later be, really didn't trust anybody. And for good reason. Yeah. Yes and no on that one, but yeah. I, I think in this universe especially. But I don't want it to be like this whole big, confounded Cordelia is the beast master on Gotham. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no. Never again. Which, which is another... <laughs> which we've, we've been... We've been doubting around it. Arrow Season 4... Or Angel Season 4 on Arrow, I should say. But technically, it's still Arrow Season 3. Yeah. Ugh. No. No, no, no. There are so many things wrong with this season. First of all, Sarah dying and, uh, and finding out who killed Sarah. But don't worry, Sarah's going to be back. Can we think of any bigger... Pandering to an audience than this? Um, the entire Oliver Felicity story? Okay, the, well, but that was, you know, your standard CW stuff. This was, okay, no one wanted to see this character die, but, but we didn't think about that when we did kill her off, so we're just going to make it all a dream or use the, um... Lazarus Pit to bring her back. I mean, this is... I mean, you've heard of the of the Dallas It's All a Dream storyline, right? I have, yeah. This is basically that. Just in a new form. Do you disagree? I, I do disagree, actually. I Here's the thing. Whenever they do it on a TV show where they kill off a character and then they bring him back later, there's usually a good reason. We move to a different network, a la Buffy. <laughs> Okay, but, well, yeah, there is... Well, well, actually, they did play that out through that entire season. I mean, like, it was not brushed away. No, it was not brushed away. And here's the thing. For everything I've read about Legends of Tomorrow and the next season of Arrow, when they do bring Sarah back, and this isn't really a spoiler, people, because it's been in the trailers all online for the past four months, but when they do finally bring her back, she's going to be dealing with the consequences of that throughout her entire run next year on whatever show she's on. Well, here's so the thing. I don't thing. think it's going to be without purpose. Well, here's the thing about that. Here's the thing. Here's why I'm so upset with it. I respected the the Arrow writers when they did kill Sarah off because I thought that was a gutsy, courageous thing to do. Something that no one saw coming. Something that... Something that made sense. Something that was supposed to drive the rest of the season. And, oh no, we're caving into fan pressure. And we're going to bring her back on a different series. <laughs> like, I lost a lot of respect for the, the Warriors after that. I, I, and I understand that. But 
mean, and if you enjoy, if you don't, if you want Sarah to come back, I'm not saying, you know, they shouldn't or you shouldn't enjoy that. I just thought it was a little cheap. Yeah. No, no, I agree with you. And I really didn't want Sarah to come back either. But we have to remember something, too. These are shows based off of comic books. And what's the most common comic book cliche? Characters that Coming back. Yeah. And to the it point where is. no one believes... It's a part... It's always a part of it. There, I mean, there's no way you're going to escape it in any comic book show. Name me one comic book show that's exclu- exclusively a superhero show where characters haven't come back to life. They always do. It just, yeah. It's what happened. Yeah, but... And that's okay. Just don't do it all the time. But here's the thing, though. That was... So, and it was, you know, promoted to be such a driving force of that, of that third season, Sarah's death... And the ramifications that come of it, and oh, and oh no, within two episodes, it's not that big a deal because Oliver just sold his soul, but he didn't sell his soul. But we have to remember this too: her death wasn't supposed to be for anyone but Laurel, in terms of story, and it worked. Speaking of Laurel, um. What they did with with her and Quentin Lance, I thought was brilliant. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Because uh, Quentin Lance really was the equivalent of Don Summers in Season 5 of Buffy, in Season 3 of Arrow. Oh no, we have to protect Quentin. We don't... Yeah. But he made... I thought that too long. But he made that and turned that into something great. And I loved him, that scene... With him and Oliver, when he's talking about Quinn talking about being the Levite. No, I'm kidding, kidding. Kidding about that? That he's the Levite and he's going to burn Sterling City to the ground? Kidding, kidding. Funny. No, I, you know, I I did like that plotline at first too. But then I was kind of like, you know what? This has gone on way too long. I'm done with it. But I loved it that he smacked Oliver the way he did. Well, I, I like that too. Everything uh, with Oliver toward the end of the season, in terms of him being exposed, and then him having to go into the League of Assassins, I, I loved all that. And I loved Quentin's response to all of that. Well, and you know, like, and he has a legitimate beat. Oliver Queen has really brought him nothing but problems ever since he started dating Laurel. And if you really want to be, like, brutally honest, like, he's, Oliver's caused, um, Quinlan's more pain directly or indirectly, Arrow or Oliver Queen, than anybody else on that series. Hey, that's totally true. Yeah. And I, and, but here's the thing, the way they ended it, how can the, the Arrow come back? Unless it's, like, three years later. In TV time. Well, it's going to be a few months, I guess. Well, which made that which made, which made that ending even more it, pointless. Yeah. But it's not going... He won't be back as the arrow. He's going to be back as the green arrow. Because that's... Uh, because that's such a big difference now. I'm sorry. Like, I, I like the name change, but really, is that going to... Is that just going to make people forget... About everything that happened this year with, you know, rioting in the streets with, you know, with like, with Team Arrow pretty much 
being fractured and de destroyed to where it's really just Team Suicide Squad. To well, no, you have Diggle, Laurel, and Thea. To, uh, to Dig now being Judge Dredd, apparently looking at his new costume. Well, there's that. Yeah, I do not like the new costume at all. And here we said I, we weren't going to be naked. You know I'm glad that they're giving him something, so I'm not going to complain too much. But come on, could, could you give him something more original than that? Well, yeah, probably. Yes, and but don't worry, Diggle's going to be the Green Lantern. Oh, wait, did I just say at, that alone? Oh, at, at least it's not that. If it had been that, I would have been done. I'd have been so mad. Looking back, um... Thea's hot. No, well, yeah, there's that too. But Willa Holland really stepped up her game acting wise. They gave her so much good material. Yeah. To a, from from a character that you hated originally. Well, not hated, but really disliked. I mean, if we're gonna be honest, everyone this season was really good except for Felicity. Oh my god. We're gonna get there. We're, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get into it because I'm I can't wait any longer. Okay. Okay. You go. You go first. Felicity this season has probably been the most annoying character I've ever seen on television. I mean, honestly. I, there is nothing this season on Arrow that she has done that has redeemed her for me at all. When she was on The Flash, she was just like season two Felicity. She was great. I loved her again. Love that dress she wore for game night, by the But when she was on Arrow... Oh my gosh. I All I wanted was for Rachel Gould to kill her and be done with it. Like, that's all I want. Just cut her head off. Be done. Just leave it at that. Well, it here's the thing. Get rid of her. Be done. Because now, here's the problem. The only There's no way they're not going to be together anymore unless you kill her off. So yeah. you have to kill her. Yeah. And if they do, then... hallelujah. If they don't, we're stuck with Felicity for however many years the show decides to go on. But good, and for, I, if they do kill her, but if they do kill her off, Emily Bevercards and I, and I, if anyone who knows me knows that I'm a big fan of hers. She's gonna get so many offers to do other things if they do that. At this point, oh, I agree yeah. with. Uh, She'll be on TV. That's great. Yeah, uh, at this point, I agree with. At this point, I agree with you in a sense that there really is nothing else they can do except kill her off. No, I mean, there's just not. And, I mean, if you want... No, I am not even going to say that, because I just want her dead. <laughs> I, just, and... I just want her gone. I was, I was going to suggest just put her on the flash, but there's no way you could do that without Oliver being around her. So, yeah. Just, yeah, just get rid of her. Like, she'll find another job, and it's nothing against the actress. I think she's great. I think she's a wonderful person, and I think she's a great actress. She's phenomenal, get and she's also... She, she should take more credit than anybody for that character... To be a series regular when she was only supposed to be, like, you know, a two-scene character. Absolutely. Initially. Absolutely. I agree 100%. But, like, be done. Be, just, no. No more. It's over. And, Kill her and, off. I'll be happy. Thank you. And, 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 I'm and, myself now, but I just, I can't. Ugh. And we yeah. said we were going to be positive for the rest of this thing. <laughs> well, I, I told you, hey, I told you ahead of time. This was going to be the worst part of the show. Um, I, here's, I can't do it. Here's the thing about Felicity. For those of you that listened to us when we did the Longbow Hunters in the first two seasons, we were 
we were down on the character of the queen. We were down on the character of Laura Lance. But these characters had legit reasons to be annoying people. Or being down in the dumps about something. They did. Yeah. I mean, and and at least Laurel like had a legitimate beef. Thea had a legitimate beef because you know she was young and she didn't know any better. She came from a life of privilege. But Felicity just seemed like the the geeky girl in she's all that that kind of makeover. You've seen she's all that, right? I actually have not. No. But you've heard of the storyline. Yes. She's like the geeky girl from She's All That who figures out she's pretty and all that, hence the title. And that was better that, you know, the star of the soccer team won't admit to her that she loves him. That he loves her. Yeah. And the most infuriating thing about Felicity was that scene in the alley of I don't want to be a woman that you love. How catty and how, you know, how whiny and self-serving was that? Right. Like, there is a psychopath that is, prob that is probably the smartest man that has ever walked the earth, and he's coming to cut all your heads off, and this, and really, you want to use this? As an excuse, as an excuse to just hurt Oliver, I understand why she's upset. I do, but she doesn't need that right now. No, they're big. They're bigger. They, <coughs> excuse me. They're bigger things on the line than the, <coughs> than your feelings being hurt. And and we're gonna get into Ray Palmer. Okay, overall. Three out of five, what did you think about him? Because I don't want to talk about Oliver and Felicity all day. Yeah, I didn't like Ray at first, but I actually liked Ray more when he started becoming the Adam and all that. The truth is, he was a, I am the Adam. Yeah. I did, not like the, I did not like the design of the suit. It's like Captain America and Iron Man had a baby. Right. It's, you know, it's alright. It's based loosely off of one of the Adam's old suits, so I'll forgive it. But it'll be cool to see him shrink and do all that stuff ne in uh, next season and all that. It that'll be fun. But isn't that just a ripoff of Ant-Man? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't get me on that train. <laughs> that crazy train. Um, that crazy. I love Brandon Ralph being a different character. Because I'd only seen him as Superman. And for him to play a complete goof for real this time, not just as a cover, was interesting to see. But you know what, though? Brandon Routh, I mean, people give him a lot of crap for a lot of different things he's done that they just don't like. But for all the crap, he's actually a really, really good actor. Because he can go from a role like that to a role like Superman or to a role of like a maniacal Lex Luthor complex like supervillain on Chuck. Like, he can do just about any role, and you'll believe him. Like, he's great. And did you love the fact that Felicity found, or Ray found Felicity at pretty much, like, the exact same, like, place that Chuck worked in in the series, Chuck? 
Yes. <laughs> like, I was getting... <laughs> I've only seen like a couple episodes of Chuck, but I'm, I was I was getting weird flashbacks of wow that looks like the exact same the same set from Chuck. Right, it's the buy more. Yeah. Uh. No, but Brandon Routh is really good. I think he'll be really good on Legends of Tomorrow. I don't know how much they'll be able to use him on Arrow next season. But I think on Legends of Tomorrow he'll do a really decent job. Okay, um, before I forget, we complained as the series was going on, Michael and I over the phone, that they weren't using Diggle uh, for, you know, as much as they should. But looking back at where, where the season ended, I'm kind of glad Diggle was off to the side a little bit. Doing his own thing. And actually, if you look at the mid-season, after mid-season, he really was used well. Yeah, because, you know, if this is real life, he probably would want to be with his wife, his fiance and his wife, and his baby. Why wouldn't he be? Well, not only that, but when Oliver was gone and he had to step up as leader, like, that was great. I don't know how I feel about Colton Haynes' exit. Because it really didn't feel like an exit to me. No, me neither. And if he did, and if he did get a starring role in another series, all power to him. It's just his exit really felt really very, very excuse me, very odd, very odd, very odd, and very off. It is is he can always come back, which is good, but he's not bound to coming back, which gives Thea a lot more to do next season, which is a good thing and a bad thing, but. Which kind of opens, which kind of opens the up to so many different kind of scenarios that we can't even call right now, because with Roy yeah. gone, like who knows where she's gonna go. Yeah, well, I mean, really though, I mean, seeing him as Arsenal while it lasted was great, but I'm very excited to see Speedy next season. I'm very. Uh, before we forget, Oliver's journey into. Becoming a member of the League of Assassins was, I think, very well done. Al Sahib. Yes, the arrow. And I love that that's where he, that's where the tattoo that we see in the title card of this season come from, comes from. Yep. And I, th I thought that was very good. I also actually really like the flashbacks. I know you are always a fan of the flashbacks, but I did again this season, obviously, especially toward the end of the season with Maseo and Tatsu. That I thought that was done very well. It, it really did come full circle with all of that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And this is going to be... I've never been a big fan of the flashbacks, but my, my thinking was, what was the point of all this? What was the point of all these flashbacks? Because Oliver really wasn't a main character in these flashbacks. Yeah, that is true. Like, I'm sorry, like, what was the point of all these things? Keeping with the trend. Plus, I mean, you have that whole Amanda Waller-Oliver Queen conflict <coughs> now you understand. So that's a good thing. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I understand we needed to... We needed to explain who these people are and what do they mean in the present. But they don't even show up in the present until like almost the very end of the season. Yeah. And even still, like, Tatsu feels so empty and so broken. But it doesn't really mean anything to us because, you know, she, 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 
She wasn't the main focus of the flashbacks. Maceo was. <coughs> and he's no, gone. You're right. I did, though, really like the episode where Oliver goes back to Starling. I thought that was awesome. And it's, and Dan will probably get this reference that it's Dr. Clark Edison that actually plays, and like Andy Diggle. When they said it was that guy, I was like, "Oh, oh my God, are you serious?" Diggle's brother is like, like, uh, could be his son. Why is he really young? No, but he looks. I mean, I'm not. I shouldn't knock anybody for height, but by God, Clark. The guy that plays Andy Diggle is like 5'4", and Diggle looks like he could be 6'7". <laughs> like, seriously. And he's a, and he, and Andy Diggle's supposed to be, did they say Andy was, um, um, Diggs' younger brother? Older. Oh my god, that's even more stupid. <laughs> what, is, what is this, Luigi and Mario? Mario Mario. What's his name? Luigi Mario. I love that. I, I love that. This is. But I, now that you mentioned that episode, I, I love that that we get we get some backstory of how Oliver knows what he knows in the pilot. Yep. Like he's just not. We now know that he's just not very observant. He knows exactly what what's been going. What's been going on? Because he's been there already. He knows everything, or most things. And that was still only two years before he came back, too. Yeah. And any excuse to bring Tommy back? I mean, come on. I mean, it, I, I'm not complaining. <laughs> any excuse is fine by me. Did you like the Malcolm Backstory episode this season? I actually did. You know, that's a character I didn't think I was going to like this season, and I really did. I didn't like him always, especially when you find out that he killed Sarah and all of that well, mind-controlling. Yeah. Like, he's still evil, obviously, but overall, like, the way they developed him this season was very impressive, I thought. The weakest point of, of Hero Season 3, other than the Felicity Oliver stuff, is how much of a chump the writers made Oliver Queen. They make Oliver Queen look like the biggest a-hole possible. Especially at the end, yeah. Yeah. To the point where, what are you guys trying to do? Make Oliver the least like, liked when it's he, he's the main character? I don't understand this. Right. Like, you're, <coughs> you're a big proponent of, you know, the main character should be always right, and should get the most focus. What do you think about this? I don't know if the main character should always be right, because I think it's good for the main character be to, to be wrong every now and then, but I think especially the main focus part, and mostly right, yeah. Well, the fact that he covers Sarah's death up to, to everyone, to Laurel, to, to Thea, to Quentin, and what he does to Dig when he, he is the quote-unquote new leader of the League of Assassins, to what he does to Team Arrow towards the end. I'm like, it's like... Yeah, that was just horrible. I hated that. It's like, showrunners, why are you trying to make us hate, hate, hate Oliver so much? Right. Yeah, it, it was dumb. And it didn't, it, it didn't seem that Oliver had, 
you know, a clear focus throughout this entire season. You really didn't. <coughs> except, except for Felicity. Which and, nobody cared about. And he was more re react. He was much more reactive than I like. Yeah. I agree on that too. Way more reactive than I like. To the point where he was like, when anybody he noticed if Oliver wasn't here, which was kind of funny when he he's go he's gone for those two episodes. It's like there's something missing. Yeah, well, and that's the thing too. Like this season of Arrow really wasn't about Oliver at all, even though they made it out to be about Oliver and his identity and all that. It really wasn't. It was really about everyone around him. Which I'm not going to complain about because we got some great stuff with every other character. Arrow and his amazing friends. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, and we really even got some great stuff with Oliver. It's just the problem was every time they would put Oliver on screen, it was focusing on him and Felicity and not enough on him being a hero and being and sacrificing everything for everybody else. He like, was really Tom Welling of Arrow, <laughs> reacting to how many secrets can he keep and what secrets line up, and how is he going to keep these secrets from these people, which really isn't Oliver Queen. It really isn't Oliver Queen at all. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, they could have pulled this off, and by this I mean, like, everything he did is Al-Sahim, in a way that would actually allow his fellow Team Arrow members to forgive him at the end of the season and to be okay with him doing it and everything to be fine by the end. But or maybe not forgive him, but just so look past... Or maybe not forgive him, just look past this, because League of Assassins is coming, and we have more, much more important issues to deal with here. Well, yeah, even that. Even, at the very least, that. But you could have easily made it the other way, too, and everything would have been fine, but you didn't focus on Oliver enough in order for that to work, with the acceptability. And I, just, that did Before I forget, I have to say this... Raza cool. I liked. He did a good job. What do you still kind of? Are you kind of mixed on Raza cool? I you know. I didn't think I would like him. I and I'm still of the opinion that Rachel Ghoul should not have been on the show, but I. I actually thought the way he was done, which was very different than the way he was done in Batman Begins, was very well done. Could have been worse if we could have gotten Bane. I was very pleased by the end of it. We could have gotten Bane. No. It's wor It's bad enough we got Raish on this show. I don't want Bane, too. Yeah. But I got what I wanted in terms of League of Assassins, maybe a little too much. Because I wanted them to be the focus, but not as much of a focus as they turned out to be. And other than being really attractive, I don't see the the fandom for Talia Al Ghul or sorry, um, Nissa Al Ghul. I don't either. Like to me, she was like a Laura from season two all over again. And ultimately, like. She didn't do anything. No. All she did was complain. Like, her and Felicity... When, like, when she trained Laurel, I liked that. But every other time she was on screen when it wasn't with Laurel? I mean, she really was kind of just there. Her and Felicity be there. should be BFFs then. Because they would have a lot in common. 
How about this? They kill each other in battle, and then it's over. That'd be great. Okay, we don't. We shouldn't talk about this all episode long. But I did want to touch on this. The way they ended the the last episode of the of season three of Arrow. To say something. Well, here's something positive. We finally got a boxing glove, Arrow. Yep. Yep. That was awesome. I totally thought about you when that was going on. So go, Michael's gonna jump up and down. That's really all I've wanted since the pilot. I just want the I just want the boxing glove arrow. I just want the boxing glove arrow. And logistically, this was the only way to pull it off. Yeah. And it worked. And it worked. I I'd love to see it again. We'll see. But the but the way they ended the season three finale of Arrow makes me wonder how can they again? How can they come back? Well, that's the thing. Like. Guggenheim said that they wrote this this finale a lot like a series finale, which well, clearly, I totally understand now after watching it. Well, clearly, but, especially with that thing seen in the car with the, <coughs> with them driving driving away. Right. But, which I wouldn't have hated if it was a series finale. Yeah, I w- I wouldn't have either. I would have been okay with it. I still would not have been happy with Oliver and Felicity, but it would have been decent. Um. But we know the first episode of season four basically destroyed anything that the 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 the, 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 the season three finale tied up. Right, with the exception of um, the cliffhanger with Ray. Yeah, because we don't need because we don't need Malcolm to come back right away. We really don't. And I mean, I guarantee you, he'll be back if not just because of who the main villain is, Damian Dark. Yeah, but, but still, they left him on to the point where you really don't necessarily need him back in every, in every episode like he was in season three, almost. Right. And actually, the way they did him in season two, where he was kind of just there every now and then, that's how you should do him next season. But I think the standout episode of season three, and one of the standout episodes of The Flesh, was the crossover. Yes. I love the crossover. Now, what was the better logo? The Flash logo with the arrow or the arrow logo with the Flash? I think the arrow logo with the Flash. I would have to disagree. I like the Flash logo with the arrow. Really? Yeah. So... It's so, it's so weird when Cisco and Caitlin show up in Sterling City, though, seeing people smiling on Arrow. That was... I thought did show up in Starling City Arrow Season 2. That's when they were introduced. True, true. But uh, but it's so weird to see people actually smiling and cracking jokes on Arrow. That was really disorienting for me. But it's kind of cool. Like, I loved when Oliver would visit the Flash, and it'd be very cheery with the exception of him. Or... Flash would visit Oliver on Arrow, and he'd be cheery, but everyone else would be very serious. Or when like, Willow gets started on Angel season four, and like she brought a real lightness to that to the the episode she was on. Yeah, like that was uh, like that's a really cool thing, and it's a very comic book thing. Like it if was you have so Batman weird. <laughs> comic, there's still light colors, but if you have Superman show up in a Batman comic, it's usually raining on him. Like, it's it's a very cool thing to see crossovers like that happen, especially in live action. Yeah. 
But the, the one thing I liked about the arrow being on the flash was him running into Cassandra or the, his baby mama. Yes. Which well, I love that I they really, put that back. I really want something to happen with that. Because I, because I loved Oliver's reaction because Oliver didn't think she would ever see this woman again. Yeah. And as far as he knows, she did. She got an abortion. Yeah. Or she lost the baby. Yeah. She, she doesn't know that this kid's still around. Or he doesn't know that this kid's still around. And here's what I'm. Here's what I wonder too. How is she still getting any funding at all be, after Mora died, or no? Probably not. But at probably this point, not. but at this point, she probably probably got her life back together. Where she, well, of course, she needs that money. She wouldn't need that money, but like she, like she supported her enough now that she can do fine without the money. Yeah, I I wish she had said something to Oliver about like. Sorry about your... I heard about your mother or something like that. That's probably in a deleted scene somewhere. It probably is. That would have been great, though. That would have been a great way to just connect it all just totally. It's like, yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. But it is what it is. I, I was very happy that she even appeared at all. So hopefully she'll be back again. What doesn't make sense to me, and I hate to go back to the Flash, is why did future Barry Allen tell our current Barry Allen not to save his mother? Maybe because future Barry Allen has already been to the Flashpoint universe. And he sees that it doesn't get any better? Yeah. <coughs> but speaking of Batman vs. Superman, the yes. red coats are coming. The red co capes are coming. The red capes are coming. The red capes are coming. So much better than the first trailer. Well, yeah, because we saw stuff this time. And not, and not Superman visiting the Mexican Day of the Dead like it was in the first trade teaser? Right. Um, I, I love that the destruction of Man of Steel isn't just going to go away. Nope, it is not. What, what were your reactions when you first saw the trailer? I mean, I was very excited. I mean, people who know me well and have talked to me about this stuff know that I'm very excited about this DC shared universe in film. I, you know, Man of Steel threw me off guard <coughs> the time I saw it because it was not what I expected. But I've grown to love the film. And I showed it to multiple people who were not into Superman before, and I've been pleased to see that they actually like the character now, which is interesting. Um... But I, when I saw that trailer, oh my gosh, I was like, Justice League is coming. <laughs> I didn't even think about Batman vs. Superman. I just it clicked. I'm like, oh wow, Justice League is actually happening. And this is going to lead right into it. And, it's, oh. and here's the thing, too. I have a friend who believes that the entire film will be Batman vs. Superman. But I think the movie will be structured very much like the title is, in the sense that, yes, there will be Batman vs. Superman, but by the end of it, or at least the second half of it, it will be Dawn of Justice for a reason. Or else you wouldn't need Wonder Wonder Woman. Well, you wouldn't need Wonder Woman, or and you wouldn't even put that in the title. 
Like, why would you put that in the title if they weren't going to have that toward the end, or at least in the last half? And here's the thing, too. If you look closely at the scenes they've spliced together, when Superman is flying, blasting that engine, <coughs> and when Wonder Woman gets thrown, and when Batman is grappling away from the heat blast, I think that's them fighting something else. Because Superman would not unload on Batman like that, not when it would kill him. He well, people are him. thinking that it's going to be Doomsday. People are thinking it's Doomsday. People are thinking it's a reanimated Zod or Bizarro. I, d I don't know what it is. I don't really care. I'm just excited to see what it is and what happens. Are you with, are you with the haters in terms of seeing Batman putting something over his suit? Like the combat gear? Do you mean, do I like that or no? Do you do you not like that? I, I mean, I like it a lot. I like the Dark Knight Returns comic. It's not my favorite, but I like it enough to know that this will be very cool. And I actually do like it a lot. Because you, you're just, you're not going to see Batman go up against Superman without something like that. Here's what I like. Here's what I like. Absolutely nothing. I'm just kidding. Um... I like that the tone of the trailer starts out like <laughs> very ominous and very foreboding. Yep. I like that, you know, the world, half the world hates Superman or doesn't trust Superman and, <coughs> and half the country needs his help <laughs> and, <laughs> and looks to him as like a Christ-like figure. I love the imagery. I love that we see the opposite side of what was happening during the Battle of Metropolis between Kalil and Zod. Yep. I like the thing from Martha Kent. Because that really needed to be said by the Kent at some point. Clark doesn't own this world or turn thing. Nope. I liked how just broken, <coughs> excuse me, broken and stubborn Bruce Wayne is. And mostly because he lost to a, a Robin. Most, most people think it's Jason Todd. I've heard it's Dick Grayson, which scares me a little bit. Well, and I, and, and you don't know this, but I had to see a screenshot of what that, what that actually said on the Robin suit. And yep. when I realized that it was like yellowish green spray paint, I was like, oh, wow, they're doing this this soon. And I like the fact that we're in a universe where Robin has actually been and the Joker's already killed this Robin already. I like how, like how Jeremy Irons and Ben Affleck's Bruce and Alfred are at are at us. Yeah. I like that. Um, at this point, Superman and Batman don't trust each other at all. Kind of like they were in um, World's Finest. Yep. I liked Jesse Eisenberg, because Eisenberg has like this, not crazy look on his face, but this look of. You really shouldn't trust this guy because something's not right in his head. Right. And especially when he's crouched down and Superman's at Lex's knees 
It's like, oh. Well, just that, just that line. Devils don't come from hell beneath, they come from the sky. Yeah, classic Lex Luthor. I like that his hair is red. Yep. See, it's little things like that I love. <coughs> I love, and I like the fact that it's curly. I'm glad that kryptonite is being introduced. From Ebbets Ababa. I mean, I'm sorry, it looks exactly like Donner's version of Kryptonite. Not knocking it, I'm just saying. Yeah, which is totally fine. I'm just glad that it's there. I'm glad it wasn't in Man of Steel, but it's in this one. I like that um, the name Bruce Wayne isn't looked at with high, re <coughs> high regard. No matter who sent him that letter that said you killed your family or whatever. I like the fact that like Bruce Wayne is not looked at as like a humanitarian in this version. Yeah. Like he to them and it's kinda interesting that Lex Luthor is looked at as more as the good guy, which is how it is in the comics sometimes. That Bruce Wayne is like looked at as the spoiled bratty playboy and Lex Luthor is looked at as the humanitarian. I like that. I lo I like the the darker tone, but here's something I don't like. And yes, I was saying something positive for the majority of that. There's something I don't like. He looks too much like Watchmen, and I know Zack Snyder directed both films, but the way the camera movements are, <coughs> it looks way too much like Watchmen. And I'm expecting, you know, Doctor Manhattan to show up soon. <laughs> And uh, apparently Jeffrey Dean Morgan is going to tell Bruce, Run, Bruce, run! Take Sammy! That, that though, is great casting. I love that. I'm here nor there with it. Yeah, I, th I think it's good. I think it's very good. Well, how about... <coughs> Similar to Uncle Ben... How many times can we see Martha and Thomas Wayne die? Well, that's one of my favorite things. Uh, when Gotham first aired and I was watching it live, I was I was on Twitter at the same time because I wanted to see people's reaction. And people's reaction to seeing the cat or the cats, wow, the Waynes getting killed again, it was hilarious. What were you I, seeing? I, it'll be interesting to think about this time. What were you seeing at the time? Yeah. What were you seeing on Twitter at the time? Oh, I, I, on Twitter at the time, I was seeing a bunch of people um, just saying, oh, we're seeing the Waynes get killed again after Gotham. And I heard so much flack about that just because of the pilot. It'll be very interesting to see what they uh, say again about this movie. Um, let's take it to the other, the other side of the DC coin. Suicide Squad, or as I like to call it, the Harley movie. Right. Okay, what what do you think about this? After seeing that trailer, I think it's gonna be really good. I think it's gonna be very different than Batman or Superman or Man of Steel. I think it's gonna set a very different tone than either movie. I think it'll be helpful in introducing a larger universe and certain characters who may come into play in other films. Steve Trevor, hint hint nudge nudge maybe. Who just got cast, by the way. Yep. Chris Pine, which I thought was inspired casting. 
I think so, too. He looks exactly like what I envisioned Steve Trevor being. And you know what? Call me crazy, and I know this is completely irrelevant, but I could totally see those two, like, being attracted to each other. I could see them being a couple. They're going to have great chemistry. I'm actually really excited for Wonder Woman. It's going to be very interesting. But go on. But I, you know, I really liked the Suicide Squad tra trailer. I, It was more of, like, a first look than it was a trailer, which is how Comic-Con is. That's, I mean, that, that's just how it was going to be. And by the way, that footage they showed at Comic-Con, I don't get I don't I don't care what anyone says about this. No, not knocking the people that liked the leaked footage, but you couldn't see a darn thing other than Harley in that whole right. trailer, which is really funny to me when I actually did when I actually did see the real thing. I was like, oh, okay, I wasn't seeing things. It is just focusing on Harley. Yeah. No. And, and here's the thing about that. and Will Smith. You don't even need to know who he's playing. It's no. just Will Smith. I mean, really, not knocking Deadshot at all, but that guy could, he could be playing Will Smith and it wouldn't make no difference. Yeah. I, I think Deadshot will be very good, just because I think Will Smith can be a very good actor if he chooses to be. But looking at it, his face in those, like, set photos, like, he's not taking this movie seriously at, like, at all. We'll see. Not that I, he... I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Harley Quinn, though, but I think I think she'll be good. Here's note, note, I I did not say that, Michael did. So if you want to send all the team, his Twitter is at at mjpetty7. Funny, no, I you know I I have always liked Harley Quinn, but I like Batman the animated series Harley Quinn. I don't like Super Slut New Fifty Two Harley Quinn. Sorry, <laughs> <Super Stop. laughs> I just don't. I'm sorry. I, like, well, you, well, that's what turns people on. That's great. Whatever. But well, I'm not. I'm laughing because you're not the first person to tell me that. No, and like, I have a T-shirt with Harley Quinn on it, but it's like classic Harley Quinn. I, I don't like the anything. fact that she willingly plays like clown Fifty Shades of Grey with the Joker as well. Like, yeah, what is this? Well, that'll be very interesting too, because that looks to be like Harley's origin. So it'll be very interesting to see how that's done. But going on to Leto as Joker. Do not like the tattoos. Do not like the tattoos. That's my biggest problem with this whole thing. Really? I'm, I'm okay with the ha-ha-ha tattoo. But Everything the... else is stupid. I agree. Whoa. And, I, and Whoa. I, hate, I hate the teeth. The teeth I don't mind so much because probably Batman knocked them out. The original when, ones. Yeah, and you and you said that over the phone when we talked about it the first time, and I can actually understand that, and that's okay. But like, it looks really stupid. Yeah, but why would the Joker want to put art artwork on himself? Like that has never been the Joker. Well, probably because he's like insane, but I don't know. But insane enough to actually let an artist act. Well, I say that, and then the dollmaker cut off his face in one comic. So I'm not right. So. Yeah. Right. I was actually just about to mention that too, but yeah. But I mean, I think Leto's Joker could be could potentially be a lot scarier than Ledger's. I really do. <coughs> if they're doing him, there's like there's there's nothing at all that is even remotely sane. And like Ledger's Joker, there wasn't either, but it's a different level. <coughs> I think he'll be very good. I think he'll be very good, but I think he'll be too good. 
and I and I don't want to be hard on Jared Leto because he has big shoes to fill. Humongous shoes to fill when it comes to being the Joker. I'm not gonna knock Jared Leto at all because he's gonna get flack from every which way. Because it's not it's easier to me to play Batman than it is to play the Joker. But I just don't like, I just, because to me, Suicide Squad looks just like, and people say Marvel Studios does a lot to just market, to make t-shirts and memorabilia. <laughs> Suicide Squad totally looks like, to me, like a movie that you just want to sell a lot of merch from. Don't you get that from that trailer? From the Harley Quinn angle, yes. I don't know about any other angle other than her, but her being thrown into that movie at all, I would say, yeah. Which which is fine, but that's not a good enough reason to make this movie. But I do think David Ayer will do a good job. I think he's very passionate about the project, and I think he really wants to see it succeed, so I think it will. I do like kind of like the... What's the word I'm looking for? Like the emo punk kind of element to this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I do too, actually. And I like <coughs> that Batman's in it. Even if it's just for a little bit, I, I like that. And I read an interview today with Zack Snyder where he actually talks about, you know, Batman's the guy who put all of these criminals in prison in the first place. So, of course, he has to be in it on some level. And I like the fact that he doesn't even necessarily have to be on screen, but you know that it's him chasing Joker and Harley. Yeah. Although Ben Affleck was reported on site, so he's definitely in the movie. Okay, that's good, that's good. I don't know, There's uh, the jury's still out on whether or not I will see whether or not Suicide Squad will be a success. I would much rather want a Wonder Woman movie to fall Batman versus Super <coughs> Superman. I agree. I agree. But Harley Quinn is the shit right now, apparently, so... Well, because, like, women can see something in themselves in Harley Quinn, which really makes me feel so, so wanting to be a feminist right now. A geek well, feminist. That is, that is terrifying in and of itself, especially yeah. super slut Harley Quinn, but... Well, to move on to something a little less positive, I'm not going to go see Fantastic Four, Fox's Fantastic Four. I will not see this movie. <coughs> really? This is my way of supporting Marvel Studios. Alright. My biggest complaint is everybody's biggest complaint, is that, and that is this. What is this movie? Like, I'm very confused about what this movie is supposed to be. It's more of a sci-fi action thriller than anything else. And where are the thing's pants? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one. <coughs> that one I can't answer. And why can't anybody get, a, get Victor Von Doom down? We'll, we'll see about that one. I don't know. Because my thing was, when I first saw Doctor Doom in this universe, it's like, 
That's that's Victor Von Doom. I thought that I thought that was supposed to be um, Ronin's brother from Guardians of the Galaxy. You see where I get that? I see it. We'll we'll see though. I'm actually very very interested in and pretty excited for this movie. So we'll see how it goes. My thing with Marvel Studios, and I think, and we've talked about this off, off microphone, is they won't mess with the core formula too much. They won't mess up with costumes. They won't <coughs> change costumes too much from what they will, from the original source material, and they won't fudge with the original source material too much. They'll fudge with it to make it to make a job with the story they're trying to tell, but they won't just change it. Just change it. Which is a lot of people's complaint about DC, but that's a whole other argument entirely. Do you disagree with me on this? Do you, do you not agree with me on this? With the exception of do the Mandarin, I agree with you on that. But um, here's the thing. I think, although that's a very good thing in terms of characters and continuity, and I do respect that about them, and that's what I love about Marvel Studios the most, it's also a bad thing because in terms of the core formula of all of their films, all of their films feel the same. And that they don't change either, with a few exceptions, which are, of course, their better movie. I have to disagree with you a little bit on this. The basis of the storytelling is the, <coughs> the same, but it, it is different. Like, with Ant-Man, which we'll talk to in about a second, that's a heist movie. This is, um, Thor was much more of a, like a fantasy movie. Iron Man's much more of a, you know, of a, you know, cons well, not Iron Man so much, but Captain America, Winter Soldier was much more of a conspiracy, <coughs> espionage movie. No, I and I agree with you on that 100%, which is why I say the movies that move away from that mold are the better movies. Like, I think Ant-Man, Winter Soldier, Guardians, and maybe one or two in Phase 1 are the best movies Marvel's done because it doesn't follow the exact same formula as every other movie. Well, well, I I think it's... Be well, I, I kind of like that they're kind of the same, though. Because I know what I'm going to get from these people. Like, I don't go to a Pixar movie expecting to see a DreamWorks movie. But if you go to a Pixar movie, you get something more original every time. When you go to a Marvel movie, you generally just see the same thing with different characters. And not well, that I'm complaining, because I still really do enjoy these movies, but when does that end? Well, it's like... Well, it's like... In terms... And I'll use the comic book example, and I, I don't disagree with you fully on this, but a lot of but a lot of issues just seem to be bridges to the next thing. And that's what my big... My biggest problem with the Avengers Age of Ultron was it was too much of a bridge to Captain America Civil War. Yeah. Well, and it really was the same thing as the Avengers, just with a different villain and a few more characters. And see, here's the thing. no, Hardly no one ever mentions that, but everybody still loves the first Avengers film. But the first Avengers was different because it was the first. Same like Iron Man, the first Iron Man was different because it was the first. And I think we, I think we had way too many expectations for Age of Ultron just as fans. Yes and no, because it was still advertised by Marvel as the best movie they've done. And no, I don't. Think uh, no, I was just going to mention that, like they're not totally not at fault for what they advertised. 
But I think yeah. so. Our expectations were a little too high for that. It would, no, it shouldn't been. It, it should have been Marvel's responsibility to to just say it's a great movie. It's a fun. It's a fun movie. <coughs> but in some ways, it was a lot better than the original than the original Avengers, which we talked about off microphone. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's the thing with Phase Two for me. It was it was extremely hit or miss. Because every movie of Phase 2, Marvel basically said, with the exception of Ant-Man, because I never heard that from Ant-Man, but Marvel basically said, this is, oh, this is like the best movie we've done. Well, well, well you know, but what company's going to go out and say, oh, we're, oh, this was terrible. We just, <coughs> yeah. No, I, and I hear you, but like, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not at all a fan of Iron Man three. I thought Thor: The Dark World was good. I thought it was actually better than the first one. I just didn't think it was great. And Age of Ultron, I liked, but I didn't love. But it wasn't and, a strikeout. And Captain America: Winter Soldier, on the other hand, I thought those were incredible movies because they were very different than anything Marvel had done before. But they at the same them. time, though, and we never really talked about this on air much. Iron Man three, what they did with the Mandarin, it made sense with the with the story that they were trying to tell. They just did it just to do it. That's one thing. Not to say I didn't. Not to say I hated it. Not to say I liked it. It, it made sense to me. But here's the problem too. That movie isn't about Iron Man at all. Iron Man is hardly in it. And really, Tony Stark isn't really in it either. It's Robert Downey Jr. freaking out the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, to me. It's just not good. I like. There's nothing about the movie I really liked besides the score. To be honest with you. In some of the fights. And if, are, well, I think I think one reviewer said it best. The best Iron Man movie is the Avengers. Yeah. Well, Iron Man, the first Iron Man was incredible. Well, other than that one, but, but you know, there is an argument to be made that the best Avengers, I mean, the best Iron Man movie is Avengers. Same with Thor. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I just, you know, but that, but again, that's, I mean, that's what I respect a lot more with Fox in terms of like the X-Men franchise or Warner Brothers in terms of any of the DC films that they're doing right now. Marvel has their sandbox and they'll allow you to play in their sandbox, but only if you stay within their sandbox. But you know, and we never talked about this on air, and I'll, I'll just tell, because we're both writers, I don't mind that going in. I don't mind. If I know that that's what they want from me, I can work within those parameters. I, I, I would hate it a lot. I would hate it a lot more if they said to me, oh yeah, you can go, go to town, do whatever you want, and then I go back to another writer's meeting. Okay, we hated this, we hated this, we hated this, we want you to change this. But that's the thing, and I've been reading up on this a lot because I've been very interested in, to see how DC versus Marvel is do it, handling their cinematic universe because I don't want it to be the same as Marvel's. And for many reasons, but mostly because I just like that they're both different, just like the comics. But Marvel seems to be a very big sandbox that has very strict guidelines. And like if you're Edgar Wright and you have something you want to do for Ant-Man, but then they say no, well, you're off. You're off the film because that you don't want to, you don't want to give up anything, and they don't want to give up anything. It, there's not as much compromise. Whereas with DC, from what I've read from Jeff Johns, they have their overall arc, 
but they'll allow each of their creators of each individual film to do whatever they want for the most part. It's it's very different in the way they're set up. But um, Like I said, every Marvel movie feels very similar, very the same, and very confined by the other movies, and hint, oh, look, there's the Avengers in this movie, or hint, there's an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., or hint, there's a Hydra person. Whereas DC is very much like, this is our movie, this is what we're giving you. But, but you if they're trying to make these things connect, it makes it better if you put out those guidelines ahead of time than just say, then, you know, you can do whatever you want and we'll try to make this connect. You know what I mean, though? Oh, I totally agree. Like, yeah, as long as you tell them ahead of time. But, like, I don't know what set Edgar Wright over the edge with Ant-Man, and I can only speculate, but... Some something did, and he was. And totally I think it's. I think it's exactly what you're just talking about. Like his original script had very little to do with the other MCU stuff, and they were like, "No, we want you to add this, <coughs> this, this, and this." And it was like, "No, I want to do my own thing." Well, then I'm sorry, but we can't before. <coughs> but that's the thing. Every Marvel movie shouldn't have to connect to every other Marvel movie. Like you could have easily done Ant Man and have it be its own thing. While still mentioning Tony Stark. But truth be told, that's how Marvel Comics have been written, too. If you want to go really deep. To a point. Fantastic Four isn't like that, for the most part. No, I'm not talking about the movies. I'm talking about how the comics were originally written by Stan Lee and his, like... No, but but that's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. Fantastic Four wasn't ever really like that. They had their own thing going on, same as the X-Men. The only things that really crossed over were the multiple Avengers characters. Yeah. But I think... in my in my experience, I would rather go into a meeting and have them tell me we want you to do this in the movie, we want you to do that that in the movie, we want you to do this. Um, but everything else, it's up to you. Like I, I don't mind that. I really don't. No, I don't. I don't mind that either. But that seems more to me what DC is doing than what Marvel's doing. From what I, I read from, from I would disagree. I would disagree just because, like, to be fair, DC doesn't have a formula yet. That is true. It's very clear what Marvel's formula is. That is true. And it's only because I've dealt with like higher ups that like change their mind once they see my work. I would rather want, want them to say, you know, we want this to connect to Captain America. Please make some things here and some things there and we wanted to connect in this way <coughs> and and, the, and we want this to be connected to Infinity War like that I don't mind that I don't mind yeah and I don't either I'm just I'm purely saying this based off of what I read from Kevin Feige about how they're set up behind the scenes and what I read from Jeff Johns and Zack Snyder on how they're set up from behind the scenes because from what I read, they're both very different systems, and I actually like the DC one better because it gives people more. But isn't there, but isn't there an argument to be made that one of the reasons that we never hear much from the directors and the particularly from the writers of these Marvel movies is that the real creative team is Kevin Feige and his crew? There is an argument to be made for that, but I think that's wrong to be honest with you. But you know what though, like, but then you I, don't. Have, but then you don't have any, like, weird, like, continuity flubs or anything like that. And I agree, and continuity should flow, and that's why comic books have editors, but because, you never hear Because Marvel Studios is very tight right now in terms of, like, their story. Wouldn't you agree about that? Oh, no, I would totally agree with that. 
There's no, there's no, there's no like, okay, this doesn't make sense because then how is this possible? There's no, in case in point, my, my perfect example for this, how is William Stryker five foot eight in the, in the present time and like six foot two in 1973? Yeah, I, dude, I don't know. Yeah. Like, what, that's, all, the, all I'm saying is, if you look at the way comics are written, and it, I think these studios should both take note of this. The creative team really has the power, but the editors are there to fact check everything and to make sure it all fits. That's how it should be done. It shouldn't be the editors telling the creative team what they can and can't do, write, or draw. It should be them doing what they want to do, with the editors backing them up and saying, okay, you're good to go. We're totally ready for this. Because if I were making a movie at Marvel Studios, I would not want the executives to be saying, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do, go. I would want them to allow me to do what I want to do, and then I send it to them. But you know, check it, but you know, it's it. an interesting challenge for me as a writer having somebody say, "This is what you can do, and this is what you can't do." Like, you know, giving a writer free reign is not like the best thing in the world. Because <laughs> we can. No, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not. I agree a hundred percent. But if you're to do it in a way that allows them to be creative, because here's the thing: the moment you start putting constrictions on people. The moment they stop doing certain things because they think it might fall out of line of those constrictions, I, I, I would agree to an extent. Because if you if you're a really multifaceted writer, and this is not a catch twenty two for everybody, you would find a way to find your own creativity, even with the parameters you've been given. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yes, I would. Like, like that's uh, and this. I, I don't want to make this like an entire fill. Fil- Philosophical writing podcast because that's not this that's our net that's our next podcast no I'm kidding but no no I I hate it when writers say oh I hate it when people like the Todd McFarlane excuse they're giving me too many negative notes they're t- telling me what to do like if you're really talented you find a way to to have your talent shine I, through I think I think negative notes are some of the best things you can get as a writer oh absolutely. Parameters, I think, are some... Negative notes as well as positive notes because it really helps me improve my writing. I have people who do that for me. Well, I think think there's no such thing as a positive note, sir. If you don't get any negative feedback, that means you're doing a good job. Well, you you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, 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 I I just hate that excuse that they're they're giving me too many parameters. It's good to have parameters so you don't go totally insane. That's what I'm saying. I just don't like... That excuse from writers. And I agree, but if you're an executive and you're micromanaging an entire film and not allowing the writers or the director or the actors to have any freedom at all, you're really just you're really just starting a dictatorship is what you're doing. Well I think it's well well um and that's not good either. Well not, here's the thing too pro, and I'm not team D C and was not team Marvel like No, both, no, no, absolutely not. I just like what Marvel's cool. doing a little better because I think it's cool that these things connect in the way they do. Yes. And I and I agree with you. I think it's very cool that they connect. Yeah. I just I would like the people who are writing and directing these films and act and starring in them to be able to have the creative freedom they want, as opposed to being micromanaged. And if and if Jeff Johns and Zack Schneider, whoever's involved with DC Entertainment, film wise, and that's the other thing that really bugs me. And we're not going to talk about this too in depth. I don't like the DC and um, DC TV and filmers totally separate. Like, you and I have had the discussion, it does free writers up, 
but it also confuses the a lot of the new viewers that are that one that but, are. I mean, here's the thing too, though. I mean, if we're gonna be honest, if you're watching like the Flash and then you're seeing the Flash in a Justice League movie and they're the same character but they're different actors, you're kind of a moron if you don't put two and two together. But but you know but you know what this day, day of. <laughs> of instant gratification, there's a lot of people that just don't think. Not saying that there are morons. They're just not willing to go that extra mile and think outside the box a little more. Which which is a large part of the problem. And and for two little kids, they don't they don't connect right away. And that's one of the reasons why Marvel's doing well. They're marketing it to the people that aren't the major comic book fans. But that's the thing though too. Like I watched Batman the animated series as a little kid. And then I watched the Batman as a little kid. And I knew they were both Batman. But I was smart enough to figure out that they were both two different entities without the use of a computer. But you know what though? It's like if if you if you watch Captain America and then you see Captain America show up on Agents of Shield, it's like, okay, so I need I need to catch up because all these things are connected in this one little thing. Now granted, I I do admit Marvel's doing that a little too much, I think, now. Yeah. Like, just as in, I always try to be fair. You know me. And anybody who knows me listening to this podcast, I try to be fair. If nothing else, I think Marvel's doing that a little too much now. I think Daredevil, they didn't do it a whole lot, and that was good. Because with Daredevil, like I was saying earlier, they actually gave them a lot of creative freedom. But speaking of Daredevil, I'm seeing a a little bit of potential Easter eggs here and there. Because have you watched Agent Carter? No, I have not. Um, Peggy's best friend on that show looks exactly like Charlie Cox. So she she could be. And I need to send you this picture that I posted on, on ATA Facebook. If you look at these two characters, she could be the, the grandmother Matt Murdock's always referring to. Ooh. Because I did, cause I did the math. Like, Peggy Carter's best friend could be like in the same age range to be a grandmother. And who knows, in Civil War, like, Matt Murdock in his red glasses could say, excuse me, miss, I'm looking for my best, my grandmother's best friend. Her name is Peg. Where's her room? I have these flowers for her. Yeah. And the, that's where he meets Captain America. I will say this, in terms of Peggy Carter, and I've not seen the show, so I don't know anything about it. Um, other than the basics of it. But I really do like that Peggy showed up in both Ant-Man and Winter Soldier. I the funny thing about Ant-Man, though... The is, continuity, I think that was incredible. Well, here's here's a, a big... Here's a... I, I rescind my last statement about William Stryker. How does Howard Stark, like, gain, like, five inches of height as he gets older? <laughs> Well, you know, but you know what, though? In terms of what you were saying about William Stryker, at least, I can't tell you about the height gain, but about the height loss, my grandma continues to shrink. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she does. She yeah, I mean, that's true about some that, old, old people. She does like, shrink. The bone density kind of makes them get smaller. Yep. So I, I can't answer that about Stryker, about Stark. I, I mean, I, I can't help you there. <laughs> Yeah, but that's and here's the awkward moment when you're watching a Mamma Mia by with Amanda Seyfried and realize that her fiance is Dominic Cooper who played Howard Stark. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. 
If you go back and watch uh, Mamma Mia with Meryl Streep, that is um, Dominique Cooper playing Amanda Seyfried's fiancé in, in the Mamma Mia film. Wow. He only has like five, half five lines through that entire thing, but I was like, wow, that's how I, it started. I not have known that. That is actually pretty funny. Yeah, I was looking up Mamma Mia for something, and I was looking at the MDB. It's like, holy crap, that's how it started. But going into Daredevil, here's the one, here's a couple Easter eggs that I want to talk about. We're not gonna, we're not gonna go too much longer, guys. But I'm sorry for kind of rambling on and on. But Michael and I haven't spoken at this length in a while. In a while. But Mike, Michael's always said this. What have you always wanted to see out of Marvel, sir? What have I always wanted to see? What? What have you always wanted to see out of Marvel Studios, but never got? In terms of tone. Okay, I need to be more specific then. Yeah, you do. Because Michael, Michael doesn't remember. Michael said to me during Phase 2, even though Phase 2 is still going on. And by the way, I still consider Jessica Jones Phase 2. Because to me, Phase 1 was all about bringing the band together. Bringing the Avengers together. And I've never said this publicly, so this is the first time I'll ever say this publicly. Phase 2 is about, even though we didn't think it was a big deal at the time, our actions, no matter how small, no pun intended for Ant, no, no pun intended for Ant-Man, um, no matter how small, have bigger consequences in the future that we're going to have to deal with and have to, have to put behind us. And really, if you watch Phase 2, Every Phase 2 TV show, every Phase 2 movie has a little bit of that theme going on. Don't you agree? Yes, I do. Even with Guardians of the Galaxy. Absolutely. Um, and I think with Phase 3, it's going to be this. No matter how many tales we have to astonish, no matter how invincible we are, no matter how mighty we think we are, no matter how much fear we do, we think we do not have. And yes, puns very intended there. We have to get over our petty, petty jealousies and arguments, because there's a there's a really mad and sadistic purple guy with a golden pimp glove that wants to t take over the universe. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, and we need to get over ourselves. Would you agree with my assessment on the different phases so far? Amen. Because really, what's going to start this bickering and arguing that we kind of saw in Age of Ultron is going to carry over into Captain America Civil War. Yep. But what Michael said to me before, even before Daredevil teaser came out, he said this to me, when are we going to see that dark, gritty, grimy version of Marvel? From the 60s. Right. Oh, the 70s. Uh, of the late 60s, early 70s. The Jerry Conway era, as I like to call it. Or Frank Miller for you Daredevil fans. But that's more 80s, though. That is true. Yeah. And, but, but, then, but then when the Daredevil teaser came out, uh, the first thing I said to Michael was, Are you happy that you got your greedy version of Marvel? And he responds with, Yep. He just re responds with that, yup. 
I, you know, I don't really need a whole lot of words to respond to something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just, like, it, well, if you could have seen the smile on my face after that teaser, you would have gotten it. Well, well, your thoughts on Daredevil. Let's start with that, because I've been talking a lot lately. Let, let me let me tell you something. With with me and TV shows, like, I'll sit down and watch a, t- a season of a TV show on a weekend if I have to. Um, I watched Fringe all four seasons right before season five aired in four weeks. Um, and I've every time I watched Gotham, I've watched it in episodes of five, and I've just done it all in one night, which is why I haven't watched this last one yet because I just I still haven't gotten to it unfortunately. With Daredevil, I had it done in I think less definitely less than twenty four hours, maybe less than. Well, maybe less than 15. And see, that's insane, because at least it took me at least three days. Yeah, I, like, I, I could not stop <coughs> watching it, Woo. Like, I, like, the characters, the story, the actors, the writing, the directing, the lighting, the cinematography, oh my gosh, everything about that show screamed Frank Miller, Daredevil, to me. And, and, and a little bit of... The original Daredevil that we saw from Bill Everett and um, Stan Lee. Yeah, and a little bit of Kevin Smith, too. and like, But mostly the Frank Miller stuff. And the Frank Miller stuff is obviously like the best Daredevil run ever, one of the best comic book runs ever, in my opinion. And, oh my gosh, it translated to screen so well. The way Kingpin was done was unlike any other MCU villain. He was conniving and maniacal. And I think, before you go before you go any further, I think it needs to be said, the reason they were able to do this really was because it was on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you could not have done this on anything except Netflix or maybe HBO. You just couldn't have. Well, and that's because the episode, and that's why the episodes are a little bit longer, too, because yeah. you don't have to deal with the restrictions that you get with commercials, and that's why, we're, why we have an opening title sequence as well. Yeah, and, like, you had, you had him who was incredible like kingpin was i i dare i say highlight of the season because there were so many like they're like oh my gosh then you had foggy who you know you usually have the annoying best friend character in a lot of tv shows but like this time he wasn't annoying and stanley has said very many times he hates comic book superhero sidekicks but he seems to like best friends Rhodey, yeah foggy harry osborne Exactly. Ben, Ben, like, Ben, Richards. Extremely. Then you had Karen Page, who's usually would be the. Oh annoying my god! Paper. That shocked me story. more than anything. That you made me like Karen Page. Because everybody says, because everybody says Karen the same Page. thing. Everybody says the same thing about Karen Page. She is Mary Jane Watson that doesn't grow up. <coughs> grow up. She's snotty. Well, she- I don't even know if I'd give her Mary Jane Watson because I think that's even too much credit. Even, like, the non-growing up Mary Jane. I Like, Karen Page in the comics is an absolutely horrible character, and I have no idea what Matt Murdock ever saw, pun intended, in her. Like, I just don't. But on Daredevil, on this show, they actually made her someone that we would actually care about and we were actually like, don't die, please. Not to mention Ben Urich, who was incredible, too, and I really wish they had saved for a Spider-Man movie, but... I mean, the way he was gone off, like, it, that was great. My thoughts then, on Ben Yurick is this. If they had the Spider-Man rights in place before this series got produced, 
either Bondi Curtis Hall wouldn't have taken the role, or they would have found somebody else. Because one of the reasons why Bondi Curtis Hall, the guy who plays Ben York, accepted this role is because it was only going to be a pro for a one season commitment. Yeah, and I'm glad that they. I I'm glad that he took it because he was he was great. But it kind of stinks because now that <coughs> that Spider-Man is in the MCU is what, and that's what we're going to close with tonight. Um, it kind of sucks that Ben Yurik isn't here around, unless they yeah. have, and they did, they established that he doesn't doesn't have a son, so he can't be like Ben Yurik Jr. Now to be fair. Ben Yurik is more of a Daredevil character, so it made more sense for him to appear here than Spider-Man. But with this, like, con connected universe, it wouldn't make more sense that he would show up in a right. Spider-Man film. Well, especially because he's supposed to work at the Daily Bugle. And that's another thing. They wouldn't have made it the New York Bulletin if they had the Spider-Man rights in place. Right. Before this. But then, I mean, but then there was Matt Murdock. Oh, my gosh. Yet another like, Brit taking our American superhero roles. And I was very happy with the Daredevil costume at first, and then it kept going, and I'm kind of like... Or as everybody oh. likes to call it, the Dread Pirate Roberts, which I can totally yeah, right. see. Right. Oh, that's so funny. I didn't even put that together, but that's Yeah, good. I didn't notice that either until somebody mentioned that to me. He totally looks like the dude from Princess Bride. Yeah, You're right. he does. You're so right. But, but, like, there's, I, I but there's still a little red in that black suit. But I was kind of getting sick of it near the end. And then they had the actual costume show up, and believe me, I love the costume, I really do. I and this has been said everywhere but else, this is not the final costume. The no, red not. suit we see, that's not like, the final one. But I missed, I missed the black suit in the finale. I actually I, really did. Yeah, everybody says that, and I do too. Well, first of all, I'm a little ticked off that it took this long for us to get the dark red suit. <laughs> that it's only on screen for like five minutes. Yeah. And did you notice when he's, like, on the roof with the red suit on and he's got the helmet in his hand, there's a light that shines on the helmet and it's yellow? Yes. A little a little shout-out to the fact that Daredevil's first costume was, was red suspenders and yellow, which was horrendous back, looking back on it now. But back then it was great, somehow. <laughs> well, I think it's because like Stanley really liked the yellow color, and the 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 uh, the other people on the bullpen like Kirby and Ever were like, yeah, we need to change this. And and Stanley in his like cool nonchalant attitude says, okay, let's just go all red. And yeah. that's where it's stuck. And can I say too, I'm one of the very few people on the planet who actually really enjoyed the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. The, like I really do. the extended the, cut. Do not watch the theatrical cut. Watch the director. Yeah, cut. the director. The director's cut is a lot better, but but even so, like the theatrical cut itself is fine in my opinion. I mean, it's the same as Green Lantern. The extended version's a lot better, but like the irregular is okay. And I've me. seen some shots from the 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 director's cut of Daredevil. In the way it's paced, the editing is done really. It's really done yes. more like a. More like a Frank Miller comic book in terms of the pacing. Yeah, I agree. Well, but as a fan... The dialogue is crap. Like the, di that, the dialogue like is complete crap. Like, no, like nothing can save the dialogue. But a um, couple of things I want to mention. Um, like that it's called The Incident, The Battle of New York. Yep. 
Like the not watching Dare, not watching Avengers after seeing Daredevil, every little bit of destruction in Avengers is another thing for Union Ella to benefit off of. And you never really think about that. Marvel was like the first comic book company to think, what is this destruction due to the people that are around after the battle's over? Yeah. Well, and I found that very interesting about the Avengers and all of the Marvel movies in Phase 1. What happens with all that destruction? Like, that that was something I actually legitimately thought. And then people came out with... And then Man of Steel came out and people were all over that movie. But I'm like, no, there has to be something. And when they mention it in Daredevil and they made it a plot point, I was extremely happy. The same as I was happy when I found out... Well, they made it kind of a joke in that one, that one shot with Lizzie Kaplan. You saw that, right? Which one? Where Lizzie Kaplan and her bo- and her boyfriend, Lizzie Kaplan, like is in a Marvel one shot where they take one of the Chitauri's Char- weapons and actually use it in a bank robbery. Oh yeah, that's right. They did it in kind of a funny way. First of all, that's right. Big props to Leland Owsley, the guy that played Leland Owsley. That guy was so good. Yes. Big props to the actor. <coughs> Excuse me, the actors who played Vanessa, because you really, you really feel that she's attracted to the power and the aura that Wilson Fisk has. Yes. And I'm gonna give another podcast, the Making My Marvel podcast, some props. When have we ever seen the villain get a romantic story arc where the villain actually goes after somebody, and we care about the villain's love, love life? Hardly ever. Yeah, and they did it so well. They did. I, um, I was, ex- like, all around the board with Daredevil, I was extremely impressed. Especially with the fight scenes, which, in my opinion, and this is going to cause a little controversy, but I think they're better than Arrows. Well, yeah, because they have more time to do, too. Well, they have more time, but I think they're choreographed better. Well, the guy that did the, st- the, the, the guy that did the fight choreography was the same guy that did the fight, the great fights for Winter Soldier. Yeah, and it shows. There you go. Because that, I mean, like, literally, Daredevil, there's nothing about Daredevil that I do not like. Nothing. There was not one thing. Everybody talks about the hallway scene, which was a great fight scene, but I think the fighting with the ninjas and Nobu was better than the hallway scene. I agree. Especially when the ninja catches on fire. Yeah, and they just let him burn. Um, everybody's saying that Madame, Madame Gowie is... Related to something that's going to happen in Iron Fist, which I could totally see happening. Yep. Because that symbol on the the substances is a reference to Iron Fist, because that's an Iron Fist symbol on one of the drugs. Well, the ninjas that he fights are most most certainly the hand. Yeah. It's got to be. Or the, or the person that Stick's talking to at the end of that episode. And by the way, Scott Glenn, phenomenal job as Stick. Yes. Stick to me has always was like the anti Uncle Ben. Would you agree? Yeah. Everything Uncle Ben was to Peter Parker, that's like the exact opposite of what Stick is. And I love that he's such a jerk to Matt and never really changes his tune. Yeah, I agree. Um, we both love Foggy. Deborah Ann Wool. Her best performance, I I think, was. When she shot Wesley, 
Oh, you think? And and to me, that was more shocking than Ben Yurk. Because we kind of knew what was going to happen to Ben once Kingpin was there. But we never yeah. really thought that Karen was going to shoot Wesley. No. Because they not. set Wesley up really well to be like a character that probably was going to be on for a couple seasons. Which, by the way, it really surprised me how soon Daredevil got picked up. Like in a matter of weeks for another season. Especially when they still have three more characters to go, go for the Defenders. Well, I think... No, it wasn't even weeks, Woo. I think it was like one week. Yeah, you may be right. You may be right about that. Because it. Cause I remember it being so fast. I like. I was like, "Oh, wow, really?" Because so many people watched it immediately. And people, people give Kevin Feige a little bit of crap for like, oh, "Okay, you, you, why have you not watched Daredevil?" And they give the same crap to Joss Whedon. And they have to understand while Daredevil was being aired. They were still doing press for Age of Ultron. Kind of hard to watch a TV show and do that at the same time. Right. I agree. And well, that Stephen Austin Knight's role on the show was great. But not. Like, like, but let's uh, not. But not let's not discard Drew Drew Goddard at all because uh, a lot of the stuff oh. that he did still survived, which really impresses me about Marvel that they just don't throw things away. Similar to Ant Man, even though Edgar Wright. Wasn't in the movie entirely. Some of that, some of his humor still survived in the final cut. Well, they did give him a writing credit. Yeah, which is the right thing to do. If you yeah, write a significant amount, you should, and it survives in the movie, you should still be there. But you know what, though, because I really and I really do believe this. I really think they gave Goddard and the Knight a lot of creative freedom with their double. I don't think they were as involved. Well, that's the thing with Feige. He's not in charge of TV. He oversees the studio, but he, he really lets he really lets Jeff Loeb. Well, I that's half true and half not true because the Marvel film and TV do work on Agent Carter together. But other than that, Feige does let let um, Jeff Loeb do his own thing for the most part. Well, and even Jeff Loeb, like, I did not feel a Jeff Loeb vibe from this show at all. I did just because of the knowledge that Jeff Loeb has for these characters, but not in I'll terms give, of the writing, no. I'll give you that one. Yeah, because he knowledge. has, I don't, I think it's undercredited that the knowledge he has for all these characters. Now, does it show in the writing that he, he has? No. He's not Bendis in terms of that. And that's a, and that's not a knock on him, I'm just saying. No, I love Jeff Loeb. I mean, he's one of my favorite. I still wish he would go back to DC because his Marvel work, in Jeff, for the most part, is pretty crap. But yeah. in terms of like running a show, I think. But in terms of running a show, I think he does a good job. He did a good job with Heroes. I think it shows here with Daredevil as well. Yeah, and even when he worked on Smallville for the first few seasons, like I thought he did great there too. Um, we there's so much to talk about Daredevil. I think we're gonna t devote like half an episode to Daredevil. Like the ending, can't believe they actually used a comic book cover in one of the headlines for the bulletin at the end of it. Yes. Yeah, which I didn't realize at first. And Stan Lee showing great cameo, cameo skills, even though being not physically there. Yep. <coughs> I was very happy with that. I love that word. It says on his plaque, "The best cop New York has ever seen." I think it says. Yes. You can't see it, but apparently that's what it says. Because 
Because again, he couldn't be there because he was shooting a scene for Age of Ultron the same week. I don't even remember a scene in, in Age of Ultron. What was it? Drunk and saying Excelsior. That's right. Yes, he was at the he was at the party. That's right. Which is still probably his best cameo. It's pretty great. It is uh, yes. I yeah. But one thing I wanted him, not him, but um, Wilson Fisk, because he's not Kingpin yet. That's the other thing I liked about this. It was mostly Wilson Fisk. It was not Kingpin. Yeah. But one thing I wanted Kingpin to say is I wanted there to be a spider in Kingpin's cell, and Kingpin just to go, ugh, wall crawling menaces. Or to just smush it with his foot or something and just stare. Yeah. <coughs> like, it would have been, oh. But you know what, though? I could easily see Spider-Man, or at least someone from that film or something, show up in Daredevil Season 2. Okay, and you just segued for me. Um, this was, this was quite a bit, quite a bit of news. This was a, a little, a little deal. A, a microcosm of news. No, no, not much of a big deal. <coughs> not much of a big deal, right? Yeah, just Spider-Man being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And that's all. You can reach us at... No, 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 no. It was a huge, huge deal. Where were you when you got this news? Dude, I don't even know. I know I exactly. I, I know exactly. I I oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, was, I I think I was at work, and I think I was just looking, and it showed up. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I, I was sitting at my desktop about to go to bed, and, like, it literally popped in my newsfeed. I was like, holy crap. What What do you think about this before we go any further? And then I'll drop my two cents in. I'm very glad. Spider-Man is part of the MCU. I'm very excited about it. I have no opinion on the actor, on the writers, or the director. None at all. What do you I think don't... of this, like, what Kevin Feige said? He wants to do a kind of 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, John Hughes, 80s film with the super, with the super genre. What are your thoughts that on that? That I like. Yeah. I like a lot. Um, but to be honest with you, still a bit broken up that it's not the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. I, I, I'm, they got two thirds of the way through that franchise and now it's gone and I'm not going to get a conclusion. So I'm actually still broken up about that. Here's one, here's one I have to say, but I'm, I'm, excuse me, the amazing Spider-Man franchise. Yeah. Allergies are no joke, folks. So if you have little ones, if you have little babies, take them out, take them outside as soon as possible so that they don't have allergies down the road. I'm just saying. That's one of the reasons why I have such bad allergies. But here's the thing about Spider-Man in the MCU. First of all, if, or let me go to this route. We have to thank The Amazing Spider-Man 2 for doing so bad that Sony would actually come to Marvel and ask them to work with them. Because I have to believe that's how this went down. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it is. Which also really saddens me because I thought that movie was phenomenal. It had some good parts, but the bad parts really showed through more than the good parts did, unfortunately. Would you agree with them? 
No, I would not. I honestly liked it. Well, people emphasize the bad parts more than they need to be emphasized. Do you agree with that? I, the fans emphasize the bad more than they more than anything else. I agree. Plus, the box office was not good. The box was, office was not good. No, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that too. The, the, those are two. In terms of the film itself, I was extreme. I was more than pleased with it. I was super excited for a third to the franchise. I was really. And I like the I'm fact like, that they're not throwing away the Sinister Six angle. They're just gonna rewrite. They're just gonna rewrite it. Yeah. The tr- well, I know because Sony's the one doing that. That's not a Marvel movie. Yeah. Well, here's the way that the Marvel, the Marvel. And Sony deal breaks down. Most of you have already known this, but for those who haven't, when Spider-Man does his own solo movie, Sony makes that <coughs> makes that money. When Spider-Man's in an Avengers-related thing like Captain America, Captain America: Civil War, which we all knew that that was going to be his first appearance. No. Yeah. <laughs> even though even though Kid Feige wouldn't confirm it, and that's the other thing I don't really understand. Just say yes. We all know that that this is the way he's going to show up. Right. Just Hello. say yes. It's not going to change anything. And we'll now pro- we know for sure, so it's whatever. Well, probably that's probably that's Iger telling Bob Iger telling Feige that you can't do it right away because we don't want to because there's still like little things that we have to square with, which is fine. I understand that. Yeah. But when but when. Spider-Man's in an Avengers-related film. Marvel gets that money. But here's the thing. It may say on paper Sony has final say, but let's be honest here. Michael and I aren't stupid, and you know, and you guys are not morons listening to this podcast, because if you're listening to us, you are very smart for picking us. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but we all know what's going on here. The people in charge of creative is Marvel Studios. Yeah. Sony may, on paper, have final say, but they would not have gone to Marvel if they knew anything about the creative. Well, I, I don't think that's true, but I think what is true is that Marvel would not accept a deal without them knowing that they have final well, say. <coughs> well, originally, they wanted just to buy the rights for an obscene amount of, <coughs> for an obscene amount of money, like $3 billion. <coughs> $3 billion. Yeah. And Sony wisely said, no, but we will partner up with you. Yeah, Sony was very smart in the way they handled it. Because, be let's face it, I don't know if this sounds insane, Spider-Man is worth way more than $3 billion. I mean, just think if Marvel were to somehow buy Batman or Superman. I mean, do you think they'd pay that much for it? No, they'd pay a lot more. That's how much you should be paying for Spider-Man. And I, I, I think it's because... Disney has restrictions about how much money you can offer for these things that they wouldn't offer like $10 billion. And even still, $10 billion is a lot of money for just licensing rights. Yeah, you could just easily wait to like wait until they die down. <coughs> yeah. But I like that we're going back to high school with Spidey. I, I like yep. that. I like that we're not going to be leaving high school in the first 20 minutes. Because originally, that's how you first meet Spider-Man. Well, yeah, in the comics, he's only in high school for the first, like, 30 issues, and then he's out. But 30 issues could be, like, two... Could be, like, two movies for us. Right. And... Right. 
Here's here's the thing also, and I know you're not a big fan of this, but some people are huge fans of this. You could do Miles Morales in the future. In the very near future. If you absolutely had to, you could, but I beg you, dear God, do not do Miles Morales. Because honestly, Please. the amount of people who like him are a lot smaller than the people who hate him. Or have no opinion about him whatsoever, like me. Or have no opinion about him whatsoever. But you know what they're kind of doing? And this kind of leads into, like, the, the new New Marvel. With Bucky, with Bucky being Captain America. I can totally see them making Miles the new Spider-Man. I think Peter would have to be older. And the whole point of Miles becoming Spider-Man in general is because Peter has died. So yeah. I don't think you can do that without Peter dying. Which I hated. That's which I hated. Thing too. I'm not. I'm not sure Bucky will be Captain America. It could be Falcon. Because of. But it's either going to be those two, and for argument's sake, if they don't want to pay Robert Downey Jr. the money that they're paying him, I could see Rhodey being the new Iron Man. Oh yeah. Because he already is the new Iron Man. Right. And and I totally agreed with you. I. I didn't understand. People just didn't get the idea to do Miles Morales first. But you can't do that without establishing Peter Parker. No, because there is no Miles Morales without Peter Parker. Without Peter Parker, the character doesn't even matter. What do you want to see in Civil War to kind of wrap this up? Because it's a Captain America movie... I know Cap will be the focus, which makes me happy because I'm sick of Iron Man being the focus all the time. Um, but I really want to see a more political aspect of the Civil War comic with some crap ton awesome fight scenes that ultimately lead to the biggest change we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe since the Avengers came together. And I think that's what we see. <laughs> I could totally see Cap getting mortally wounded by crossbones. Not dying, I, like, in the comics. I could, I could even see him dying and being brought back to life for Infinity War. And I'd be alright with it. Because they wouldn't make such a big deal about crossbones if, if like, for the people that do know, he is the one that, air quotes, kills Cap. Well, it's him, and it's, um... It's, um... Oh, Peggy Carter's ancestor, the one who he falls in love with in the present in the comics. She's the one who actually does it under Red Skull's control, but Crossbones is involved. Which is probably just going to be Crossbones in this universe. Probably. Because you're not going to do Red Skull again, which is really sad. But, you know, it is what it is. Come to think of it, doesn't Hugo Weaving and, like, the, this guy that plays Romulo kind of look similar? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, there could, I, like, I honestly thought Robert Redford in Winter Soldier was going to turn out to be Red School, but that is not what happened, which I'm actually kind of sad about, to be honest with you. But, but, uh, but I, I don't see Peter Parker unmasking. It wouldn't make no sense. Like, it was in Civil so. War. I don't think it makes sense either. I agree. But the problem is, who else are you going to unmask? There's no one else who really has a secret identity. But would you, and I'm just saying this for argument's sake, would you want to start a, re, a rebooted Spider-Man with that aura of P 
Peter Parker has taken off, or Spider-Man has taken off his mask to reveal that Spider-Man is Peter Parker in the first movie of this new universe. Absolutely not. <coughs> I think that'd be a horrible mistake. It would be a gutsy, it would be a gutsy thing to do. So, for a story template, it wouldn't make no sense. It would be interesting, if not for the fact that people already know who Spider-Man is, and because the entire Spider-Man film could be him running away from all of the people who are after him. But here's the problem, though. Every little bit of problem problems that Spider-Man has through high school, through college, and after that is due to the, <coughs> is due to the fact that no one knows that Pyre, Pyre, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Right. Once once they find out that he's Spider-Man, sure, he's on the run, absolutely. But there's no way the Bugle would hire him. Right. But, the, but, but his life is also a little less complicated. It's more complicated in the aspect that everyone knows, but it's less complicated in the sense of all... Because, of see, with Iron Man, it was never a big deal even before they revealed that there were no dual identity between Tony Stark and Iron Man. Well, it was when it came to his love life. But other than that, it really made no... It, but other than that, it made no difference. Yeah. But I'm really looking forward to it. I know Dan says that this new actor looks too, looks like he's 12. There's way... A lot can change in six months. I mean, look at look at Tom Hiddleston. That guy is, that guy is like, not aging well. <laughs> like, from the first movie, Thor movie, to now. Well, look at, um... Look at Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. Sure, he looks young, but he's only two years younger than what Superman would actually be in the franchise. <laughs> but but going back to Hiddleston, Hiddleston looks like 25 in Thor, the first Thor. He looks like he's 35 in First Avenger, and then he get, looks at 40 in Dark World. Like he is not he's not aging really well. No. Not terribly, but he's doing all right still. So yeah, he still looks okay, but like he looks so young in Thor, and it's only like two years, three years from uh, the first Avengers film. Yeah. Um. The other thing that made me laugh about the Spider-Man announcement is how Marvel shifted their entire film lineup just for this movie. Well, it's because they understand that it's Spider-Man, and it's going to do... Like, that's what people want to see. And I can imagine this meeting at Marvel, and it goes something like this. Well, Mr. Feige, there's no room for spider We make room! We make room for Spider-Man! Well, and that's the thing, too. I'm sure, like, the people whose movies are coming after Spider-Man are probably a little relieved, because now they get a little more time to work on their product and refine it. Yeah... Especially Captain Marvel. And I'm sorry, Thor Ragnarok, to me, never should have been a summer movie. Thor, to me, for some reason, feels like it should be in a Christmas time. Thor, Thor has a huge potential to be a really great solo franchise, similar to something like Game of Thrones or Vikings. But honestly, it, because they've made a lot of the Marvel characters, most, and a lot of this is Thor, very comedic and too comedic it just doesn't have that potential that it once did and see that was my biggest problem with Ultron Ultron was a little too funny and Ultron shouldn't be funny 
Ultron should be a killer robot who literally all he wants to do is wipe out humanity. But really, almost anybody... He's essentially Skynet is what he is. Like, he, he doesn't care. And I think it's because Feige just really wanted to cast James Spader and wanted, like, James Spader to find his own little niche with this character. Which is fun. Which is fun. And it was disappointing. And really, he should have been funny, but not in almost everything he said. Right. Well, it, it seemed like to me every time he opened his mouth, or his robotic mouth, I guess, it was always some sort of clever jab or quip. It was never anything like maniac. It never. I was never afraid of Ultron. The funniest thing. Problem. The fun. Immediately afraid. The funniest thing about Ultron, though, was when Scarlet Scar, Scarlet Witch reads his mind and finds out what he's going to do, and he was like, "Wait, wait, wait you you misunderstand." I thought that was pretty yeah. funny. But the funniest line in Age of Ultron goes to Hawkeye. No one would know. I could just say I spent years of watching the Marvel Universe really enjoying it, but absolutely hating Hawkeye because he was so unlike anything in the comics. Like, he was not the character at all. And Did I you just not like that he had a, he had a family? But that, yeah, but then I saw Age of Ultron, and granted, in the comics, he doesn't have a family like this. In the like, one version, he does. I, in I one cared version. about him. In one yeah, version, in he does version. have a family. Yeah, in the ultimate version, he does, I think. But generally, he does not. And the way that they did him this time, Hawkeye was the character I probably cared most about throughout this entire movie. And he had the funniest line. No one would know. I could just say Ultron no said on him. But Jeremy Renner actually was a good actor in this movie, too. Because Jeremy Renner is very hit or miss. He can be extremely good or horrible. He can't really be anything in between. I did not think he was good at all in the other movies he was in. This movie, he was very good. Well, he didn't really have any much material to do within Thor or the First Avengers. No, he didn't. He didn't. And that's, a, and that's not Jeremy Renner's fault, necessarily, but still. And can we say Planet Hulk? You have a character in Star Wars like Boba Fett, who has like hardly any lines, who hardly does anything, but he's a badass, and people love him, and he's great. You could have done that with Hawkeye in the other films. You didn't. Can we say Planet Hulk? Have I seen Planet Hulk? Can we say Planet Hulk after what oh, what man. happened at, after Age of Ultron? No, because he didn't go into space. But didn't you get that vibe, though, that that's what they were going to do? Yeah. But the problem is, if you do Planet Hulk, you have to do World War Hulk. And he has to come back hating the heroes. That doesn't work in this universe. Also, him and Scarlet Witch was horrible. I did not like that. Or him and... You mean Black Widow? Or, yeah. Black Widow. I, I was confusing Scarlet Johansson and Scarlet Witch. People yeah, do that all the time. Black Widow. But here's, just, here's, the re here's the reason why they won't do a standalone Hulk film is because Marvel will not, will not get any won't, won't get any money from it. <coughs> but here's the thing. I think now that he's been in both Avengers films and he's like one of the fan favorite characters in the whole Marvel universe now, I think people would go see it. Really well, no. Disney would not make any money from it. They could, they could do the creative stuff, but... They wouldn't make any a dime off of that movie that would all revert to Universal. Well, 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's why they won't do it. And once I heard that, I was like... One control of Hulk, or did they actually buy, get those rights back? No, they know. did. No, Universal just allowed them to use Hulk. Okay. That, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. But going forward, because they didn't think, like, at the time, Universal didn't think the Avengers was going to do what it did. And no one did. Not even Marvel Studios, to be honest. No. So, but that's why they won't do a standalone Hulk film, because Universal will get all the money, all, all of the box office from a Hulk film. But Disney, but Marvel could still do the creative. But fine. But... But Feige's probably thinking, well, yeah, we get the creative, but if we're not going to get any money off of this, why do it? Which I completely understand. Yeah. From a business perspective, why would you do that? No, I get it, too. I do. Which is sad, because it would be really good. Especially if you could do the leader, finally. And it's funny, because here's the, th the thing with Ant-Man... Ant-Man in the comics is pretty much what the Hulk is in the Avengers in the films. Like, he never had his own comic until, like, years later after the Avengers debuted. Yeah. He was in Tales to Astonish before, which is why that phrase is used in Ant-Man. Yeah. But nice. after that, like, once the Avengers started, that's what he was in. Because he really wasn't in that book anymore after that. Yeah, and it's funny because I didn't realize this until I reread some stuff about Ant-Man. Janet Van Dyne, um, Hank's partner and Hope's mother that is talked about in the film, she's the one that names the Avengers the Avengers. Yep. That is true. And Evangeline Lilly, you're so pretty, but that wig is so fake. Like, that, <laughs> like that's the one thing I kept thinking about when I was watching Hope Van Dyne is like, Wow, the wig is so fake. That you I, look like. Can I be honest about something? What? I, I, I did not know that was a wig. Yeah. If it's not a wig, I take it all back, but it sure looks like a wig. Yeah, I, I honestly had no idea. She looks like Miss Grant, J. Jonah Jameson's assistant from Spider Man. She looks like Elizabeth Banks. Uh, yes, she looks like Betty Brandt. That's it. Great CG work on Michael Douglas, by the way, in the flashback from 1989 to make him look really young. Yep. Because it didn't look like CG makeup. It looked very... Actually, it reminded me a lot of Jeff Bridges and Tron Legacy. Just a lot better. You know, I thought it was pretty good in Tron Legacy. But it's been a few years, so obviously it's improved. Just watching the Triskelion and Ant-Man, I was thinking this whole thing. Why are you guys building this? In 25 years, it's going to be, like, have a helicarry go through it. <laughs> it's like, I, been... I was very, very happy with Ant-Man. Ant-Man, yeah. Winter Soldier, and Guardians, I mean, they, they rocked Phase 2, for sure. I lied and was saying Spider-Man was going to be the end. We got into this discussion. What did you think of Ant-Man? Sorry for going too long, you guys. I loved it, man. I thought it was great. I've seen it twice already. I saw it last night again. I saw it twice because I knew we we, we probably were going to talk about it tonight. Michael Pena, Luis. Michael. Ah, uh, he was funny. The one thing I could relate with the... <coughs> with, with, with though was this... The Baskin-Robbins scene where that idiot asks, asks for something hot and fresh. Yes. 
can you take care of this idiot, please? Thanks. Because my friends have worked in fast food, and I and I've gone to many fast food places. It's like, what do you sell here? Like, right. like, why would you walk in not knowing what they sell? Yeah, I don't know. Ask your always finds out though. Um, here's what I loved about Ant-Man from a logistical standpoint. First of all, it was really, it was really. It was a trip to see Haley Alwo looking like she was in her 70s. Yeah, like I said earlier, I thought her inclusion in this and then in Winter Soldier and in Agent Carter and all of that, like, the inclusion of her in this universe as a whole has been fantastic. She is a, fo- she is a force. Yeah. Like, I, I love every time she's on screen in a Marvel film. I really I mean, do. I mean, the love for Haley Alwo, I, I think, is a little bit... Overdone, I think, but it is well deserved. It is well yeah. deserved, absolutely, because she is a force. Because when like, she's on screen, she takes over everything. Yeah, I think it's like any fan base; people can get too devoted to it to the point that it's overhyped. But there has to be some legitimacy to it, and I think with Haley Howell, it's totally legitimized. Now, with Oliver and Felicity, there's no legitimacy to it, but, you know, but, that's a whole nother But thing. here's my big problem with Ant-Man. Car- Carson Palmer, who didn't see that guy as Hydra? Right. Like, the first time I saw this guy, he's <laughs> totally Hydra. Well, I mean, part of that, too, is we've seen Winter Soldier. Like, if we saw Ant-Man before Winter Soldier, we probably wouldn't have realized it immediately because the reveal hadn't happened. But, like... After seeing Winter Soldier and then seeing Ant-Man, like, you walk into a room where, with three people for S.H.I.E.L.D., and you already know two of them are good, you know that the third is a Hydra agent. And sure. here's the thing, people are wondering where did that Ant-Man test footage come from, which I'm glad that that actually made it into the movie. I am, too. I thought that was awesome. Because Black Widow dumped all the secrets of S.H.I.E.L.D. onto the internet in Winter Soldier, so that's how they got this footage. Were you expecting the new S.H.I.E.L.D., or not new S.H.I.E.L.D., new Avengers facility to show up this soon in the MCU? No, No, I was not. Like, even when they put the plans with the Stark holding facility, like, I I had no idea. But I knew Falcon was in the movie somehow, but I figured he'd show up in San Francisco. But no, they they went all the way to New York. And very very classic Marvel that heroes would fight each other like this. But here's the th- but here's the thing that I love. Howard Stark has found something that he even he can't figure out with the pin particle. Yeah, uh, that was very refreshing to me because in this universe they've been f- fairly well established that the Starks are the smartest people on Earth until a guy named T'Challa T'Challa shows up. Well, and Hank Pym is what is he the third or fourth smartest? person in the Marvel Universe behind Reed Richards, Doctor Doom, and maybe Tony Stark. Like, it's something crazy like that. Like, he's up in the Well, top here's five. the thing with Marvel's, like, smart... A lot of scientists in Marvel, let's be honest. A lot of yeah. scientists. But here's the thing. Their smarts are, are, aren't all in one specific area. Like, right. Tony Stark's big smart is, obviously, you know, like an engineer. I um, and and Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner, Reed Richards are more chemistry based 
And same thing with Peter Parker. Same thing with Hank McCoy. So they're all different kind of smarts. Um, Stephen Strange is also smart in terms of the medical field. It's all yeah. smart, just different areas of science. But go yeah. on, you were saying. Well, and I and I loved that Hank Pym and Janet were both Ant-Man and Wasp before Scott Lang became Ant-Man. Because in the comics, it's Hank Pym and Janet who are founding members of the Avengers along with Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, and then honorary founding member Captain America. So I love that they were in the movie, and you actually saw them as Ant-Man and Wasp for a short period of time, because that was great. But Scott Lang, who was on the Avengers for the longest period of time, for the longest time anyway, as Ant-Man, he is the second uh, Ant-Man in the comics. And I love that that's how they did it here. I love that they didn't disregard Hank Pym. They kept him as a very important character in the MCU. I want your opinion on something. Scott Lang in. I want your opinion on something related to the Pym particle. Did you, did you, excuse me, did you get the impression that Howard Stark in that flashback really feels bad that he, that he kind of soured his, you know, friendship with Hank Pym? Because I can kind of tell that he does consider Hank a, a friend like Tony Revere's Bruce Banner is his friend. Yeah, I, I think so. And Peggy being, of course, the level-headed person in the group, it's like, okay, you insulted him, you liked him, do you, you don't think he, would wa- he wouldn't want to do this? Oh my gosh, and when Hank punched the Hydra agent, and then when he punched Darren later, that was just incredible. I loved that. That was so funny. I loved it. So- I loved it. Excuse me. I loved him when we see Carson Palmer again in the present, and Hank Pym goes, "How's your face?" Yes. And <laughs> oh, okay. Here's the and here and the, this is the last thing that we're gonna talk. About, well, second to last thing we're gonna talk about because we're going really long, and I apologize for this, but you do know that the the very last end credit in Airman is from Civil War, correct? Yes. That Kevin Feige apparently saw this in the dailies for Civil War, <coughs> Civil War, and thought this would be a good tag for Ant-Man. Um, how do you think Bucky got into that situation? Um, With his arm, his metal arm in a in a vice. Do you think it was yeah. Tony? Could have been a trap by Tony. Um, How messed up would it be if it's found out that Maria, Maria and Howard Stark were killed by the Winter Soldier? Well, I think that's what you will find out, to be honest. Because that's what Zola was kind of referring yeah. to. No, I, I certainly think that, I mean, we know it was Hydra for sure, but I certainly think that it was the Winter Soldier. And that's I, probably going to cause a big rift between, one of the big rifts between... Cap and Tony. Well, the thing about it is, it's essentially Superman teaming up with Joe Chill and Batman saying, what the hell are you doing? That's what it's going to be like with Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Iron Man in Civil War, I think. Because Tony will never admit this out loud, but one of his biggest regrets is not knowing his dad. And the reason his dad is gone is the person that Captain Rogers will never let anything bad happen to. Right. 
who he will always stand on the line with. And Absolutely. this makes sense that the only thing that would ever bring Iron Man and Cap back together is Thanos. Yep. And we're still missing two Infinity Stones. And it has to be that, if not solely for the fact of Tony does not want to see Captain America or any of his teammates dead, even if he's on opposing sides. Kind of like what we saw in Age of Ultron with his vision. Like, that is his fear. And he and because of what he experienced in the first Avengers film with the Chitauri and the missile, he knows that's one thing that we need to put all of our differences aside with when it comes to aliens and wanting to destroy the universe. Yeah. Absolutely. But I... But that's the... That's... But that's the, the thing. I think that's what's going to drive Civil War. The main part of Civil War. The political stuff, yeah, sure, that's fine and dandy. But I think the main part of Civil War is going to be your best friend killed my parents. Well, I'm sorry, he's still my best friend. Get out of the way, Steve. No. Yeah. And then that's when the that's when the throwdown is going to go down. But, but I don't think that will be what... I think that might be what the straw that breaks the camel's back, but I think what it will really be is that superhumans need to be registered. Yeah. Because you can't have civil, you can't have civil war on the scale of civil war, even in the MCU, without that being the catalyst. It just doesn't work, because there's no way Captain America and Iron Man would go to war with each other, and people would pick sides if not for that issue. And this is one of the few issues that I think can <coughs> permeate through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., through defender, <coughs> through defenders, certainly through, see a little bit of it in Jessica Jones, which I hear is going to come out in October, as early as October, which is awesome. Yeah, no kidding. That's great. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward because I really can't call anything for Civil War because. Of two things, Fury's not in it, and there's so many different people in it. Yep. All of the Avengers are in it, except for Hulk and Thor. Which is okay, because why would, would Thor care about this? Well, in the Civil War comic, Tony makes a Thor clone. And then Thor hates Iron Man after that. Is that Ragnarok? Uh, I think it was called Ragnarok. But Ragnarok actually refers to the Norse apocalypse. So that's what that movie's going to be about. Which is probably what his vision, no pun intended, Thor's vision, Idris Elba was talking about in Age of Ultron. Yes. Yep. Which really makes me mad that that thing with the woman in the, in the water was cut out. Yeah, you think that was supposed to be Enchantress? Yeah. Well, apparently that's what that was supposed to be. Which makes that whole water, <coughs> that whole water pond, <laughs> that whole I mean, water pond thing, totally stupid now because it makes no sense without her. Yeah, I hopefully they'll maybe they'll redo the scene in the movie, or they'll keep us an extended cut. But I doubt it. Disney doesn't well, like doing that stuff. No, what we didn't said is that you're not going to see an extended cut of Age of Ultron, <laughs> which sucks. Actually, honestly, I think half the reason I didn't enjoy Age of Ultron as much is because Whedon was not given the freedom he wanted. 
Because that's what he said. He said he had other characters in mind to be in it, except Scar- with not Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. He said that there were a lot of issues, which is why he left. But and plus, like, he was burned out. He was so he was burned, burned out. Because that's the thing, too. I don't think Whedon has been very good in the last few years. I really don't. He needs to get back to doing his own original stuff. And that's the thing about the Russos. They're like a team, but they're like they're like the Coen brothers in that sense. They're a team, but they have almost like the same mind, too. Yeah, exactly. But well, And they're more creative at this point in time than Joss Whedon is. Well, well and here's the thing, too. Joss Whedon had so much pressure put on him from doing an Avengers sequel to setting up things for Civil War. That's a lot. That's a lot of things to do to set up for. Yeah, it is. Well, yeah. but in, all of Age of Ultron really was is a setup for everything else. It too really, much so. Too much so. It was too much so. Absolutely. It was not enough its own movie, and it was too much a setup. Like, honestly, there are parts of Age of Ultron that I like better than the first Avengers. Really, to me, they're kind of on the same level. But to me, and like, this is not a knock on Age of Ultron. I didn't feel like I needed to see it again because I already got everything I needed to know the first time. Yeah, I didn't see it again either. Not because I didn't like it, I just felt I didn't need to. Well, yeah, I felt I didn't need to, and quite honestly, I don't think I liked it enough to spend money on seeing it again. (coughs) Where's the opposite of Ant-Man? Things I miss, I understand better now seeing it a second time. Yep. Well, it's even the diff- it's even different than the first Avengers for me because the first Avengers film I saw five times. Yeah. Well, again, you had a much bigger wall back then than you do now, sir. Well, that is, yeah. Amen on that one. On the I, and on I, that I, positive I, note, I think Michael and I are going to sign off. Um, my Twitter handle is at wsk nine zero zero two at wsk nine zero zero two. You can reach us via email at across the airwaves at gmail dot com. Across the airwaves at gmail.com. The, the at Tangent Time Twitter is what, Michael? Uh, I think it's at, oh, crap, what is it? At Tangent Time, or at its Tangent Radio? No, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, woo, I haven't been on it in like eight months. Well, I will say this. Um, I will post this in my Marvel group and my DC group. If you want a link for that, just shoot me a um, Twitter, a that tweet. Tangent Radio, that's yeah. it. Um, shoot, <coughs> shoot me a tweet. Say the Twitter handle one more time, Michael, for those people that didn't hear. Sorry, it's at it's Tangent Radio. And if you're gonna email us, please put it's attend. Please put it's Tangent Radio uh, on the subject line, and we'll read it on the air. Or please send us a voicemail and we'll edit it in. Like I said before, I have a Marvel Comics group and a DC Comics group. If you want the link to that Facebook group, please tweet me at, at WSK9002. Michael's Twitter handle is? At MJPetty7. Okay, and if you have any questions for us or any topics that you guys want us to hit, please let us know. I'm sorry for my throat, but I didn't want to... Like, miss out on this podcasting opportunity. Um, I'm sorry, Michael, if this caused any problems. It was great. Honestly, Wu, I have a little bit of a cold myself. So, don't, don't apologize. I totally understand. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know when we're gonna do this next because in a few in a few weeks I'm gonna start. Well, not in in a few weeks. In about a month I'm gonna start my last year of grad school, and Michael's got school. Um, yeah. um, we didn't talk about Supergirl, but Michael but seems I'm to very excited. I want to put that out there because I'm I'm pumped. I'm neither here nor there with it. I'll see the pilot, but I'm just getting so bogged down with so much things I have to watch. I agree. I that's my problem too. After Supergirl, I'm done adding things for, until something goes off. And it doesn't help that we have the Punisher coming up soon with one of Michael's um, favorite cast, one of the cast members from The Walking Dead playing the Punisher. Yes, which is perfect casting, I think. Yeah. Um, we'll see you next time, guys. Please give us feedback for Who is Kim. I'm Michael J. Patty. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.